Well, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the bloke that I've got in today on Stacks Podcast. Now, we go back a long, long way. Uh, I met Kieran back in 2000, uh, probably even earlier, actually, maybe even 99, 99, 2000, thereabouts, when I came over. 98, bro. 98? 98. When I come over to the West to... uh, to play rugby league and uh, his brother with him. bumped into a bumped into a fella who was uh, coach of the reserve grade around that era and uh, became good friends and then I uh, ended up playing in the Reggies with uh, I can't remember if you were coaching then Kieran or I'm pretty sure you were and then uh, yeah, you was playing first grade bro yeah and then Clay played with me Clay played with you yeah, I put him in hooker and then uh, I uh, yeah I was playing first grade I think and then. You Ended up living in Broome with Kieran, and, and we've always shared a, a love of music and, and other finer things in life. Kieran is a, uh, a fellow of Maori descent, and uh, obviously comes from New Zealand. You'll pick that up through his accent when he starts to uh, talk about his culture and his country and his love for all things rugby league, Maori culture, and uh, uh, love of music. So without any further ado, play the play music. Play the music. G'day, Kieran, mate. Good to see you, brother. Been a very long time. It has, it has, my bro. We haven't uh, we haven't spent some time together for quite a bit. Now, we, we used to live together in Broome. Well, not quite together. We Pretty much together. I had, a gr- I had a granny flat off the back of a tin shack that you were living in out the front. Good granny flat, too. And then before that, yeah, as I mentioned in the, uh, the little prologue there, that we played a bit of rugby league together. Let's go down that little path for a bit, so... For those that uh, do listen to Stacks, you realise that I do talk usually to musicians quite often, but uh, on this occasion, it's just good to have an old mate in. We've got some great stories. We've got one coming up for you in particular a little bit later that uh, is, is, I think, hilarious and you'll hear the humour in it. But uh, we both shared a love of rugby league and that's what brought us together. So we'll start off there, mate. Uh, Rugby league, Kieran. Now, you're from New Zealand. Where where is it you're from, mate? I'm from a place called Taranaki. And Taranaki is a it's it's a, it's a province on the west on the west coast of the North Island. Because you got Mount Taranaki, haven't you? And then it well, comes down the valley. That's the that's the province there, Taranaki. Yeah. Yep. yep. Can you tell us a bit about your hometown, like? Um... Well, I can. I tell you about Taranaki. I, um, Taranaki is like weather wise is like Perth. Like the mountain holds all the cloud around the mountain. It's freezing in the morning. Beautiful blue skies for most of the day. It's flat land, it's flat country, it's not too many hills, one mountain. Right? Yep. The English seen it, they thought, beautiful farming country, there you know. We cut all those trees down and we'll make that all into farms. And it was very, um, this, they wanted our land. They so the English, land. let's go back into that, because you're a bit of a historian when it comes to the Māori culture and, and the invasion, if you could call it that, of the, or the colonisation of the English, it, just like in Australia, in New Zealand, so... When yes. when did all that happen? Seventeen eighty eight was when Australia was founded, but I think it was earlier than that. That well, seventeen sixty seven I think Cook found New Zealand, and seventeen sixty eight was when he found Australia. After that, yeah, right? and um, but from they say from the fifty years from seventeen eight sixty seven, fifty years from there, we had about seven hundred thousand settlers from. 
from England coming to our country. 700,000. 700, yeah. Wow. And so straight away off the bat, man, we, 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 wiped, we just about wiped half our race out <laughs> ourselves. <Yep. laughs> so democracy wasn't going to work for us really, was it? <laughs> no. Nah, I mean, you, you're from a... I mean, for anyone that uh, doesn't know a lot about... Actually, we'll change tact a bit. We'll go down the Maricultural route because you're... I saw when we were playing league and, and, and knowing a lot of the boys that are, are from New Zealand that also play with other Polynesian fellas from, from uh, Mike Setafano comes to mind and, and a guy we call Raro because he's from Rarotonga and uh, from other parts as well. You all had this sort of, this warrior trait about the way you went and played your, your football. So yes, so um, you guys just, a very proud culture. Yeah, well, we, we were um, definitely. They, um, the, the combination of sailing, living off the ocean, for starters, you know, the Polynesians, you know, they've, they've done some miles in, around the Pacific, no well, compass. We were talking earlier about the where you guys descended from, and it's still, they're not 100% sure. Like, I've got this feeling South America for me, but then, you know, the base of Japan, you've got the Okinawan Islands, and the way it runs down along that trench out to Hawaii and then down to New Zealand via... Tonga and, and, and Samoa. But yeah, well, if you get, you get the world globe and you have a look at the world globe and it'll show you the arrows of the currents. Yep. And you can, you'll see these, the name of these currents and they sort of go around like this. Okay? They, they sort of pick each other up and that one picks that one up and it sort of goes around the Polynesia and uh, clockwise all around Pacific. From Hawaii down to North America, South America, New Zealand, up around there and, and all in between. Okay? They... You, these blokes know the currents like, uh, you know, like, like anybody just knows the environment. They just, they so you're saying there. before it's it's for a lot of cultures the ocean was a was a barrier, but no, for us it was, it was um, a highway. It was no barrier. Yeah, you know, we didn't look at it like that's we can't go that way anymore. That was oh, what's up there. Yeah. So what was the craft that they used to? I mean, I know in uh, some South American countries they thatch together these huge. Well, sort of like that's a, that's a good question, Joy. Because when you look at the America's Cup, okay, today, what kind of what are, what are they racing the catamarans? So, yeah, double hold vessels because you know, modern technology, those are the top line boats. Well, Polynesians traveled in those similar boats nearly 300 years ago or thousand years ago. So, though, dual, dual double hold boats, yep, just like these catamarans, yeah, they don't get enough um acknowledgement because well, they're savages, okay. Uh, their boats can't beat our boats. They're Devon, uh, um, the Absolution, or the Resolution. You know, those those boats get a lot of... Because um, they discovered the countries. They discovered well, New Zealand. Let's go back to that period when Captain Cook was sailing around yeah. and the Polynesians were on the these these double-hulled vessels. Yes. Um, sometimes a, a monohulled with an outrigger. Yep. Sometimes a, a double-hulled vessel, but three to four to five to, who knows, six, seven times quicker than a... Very, very efficient, boat. very efficient. And the proof was we, you know, we, we, we populated the whole Pacific Ocean you know, without a compass way before, like 500 years before, the Europeans thought the Earth was still flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, so. And you guys are out trekking and... And, we were, and, and, and let's just flat. look at it for what it is. Let's say, let's, let's hypothetically say that the base of Japan around Okinawa and a few of those um, islands and... The, yep. the right of the very but just say that 
that was the starting point. Just just as for a point of reference, well, I can, I can, I from can... there to Hawaii is what um, twenty eight hundred kilometers or something like that, and then Hawaii to Samoa is another yes, two thousand. I, I, I don't think they went that huge, way. Huge, you know. The story is is that they went south first. Now, Hawaii didn't get populated till after they went as far as east as they could. Got it. Because New Zealand didn't get populated till they went as far as east as they could as well. Yeah. And then they came back down south southwest. Yeah. Um, so how 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 it goes is that they come off the mainland, they come down through um, Solomon Islands, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, and they get all the way to French Polynesia, yep. Tahiti. Yep. And then from there, Hawaiian and New Zealand. Okay. So they're sort of back over this way. So we've gone that way, and then we've come back. The Marys have gone to New Zealand. Hawaiians have gone to Hawaii. That's why we look similar to Tahitians and Cook Islanders. We, we, we're pretty similar. We look a little bit different to Samoans, but we still look similar again. And then the Samoans, some look a bit like Tongans. And you've got Tongans, they look like Fijians. And you've got Fijians, they look like Solomon Islanders. You know, And you, you see a slow evolution. Maybe of the Māori people to when they finished off in the Hawaiians as well, okay? So out of all the Polynesians that are closest related to us will be the Tahitians, the Cook Islands, and Hawaii. And because as we start going back towards Fiji, they become more Micronesian, kind of a bit taller, a bit leaner, but like the Fijians, the Fijian people. And if you go to Tonga, you'll find Tongans that look like Fijians. Yep. And they're like... Um, <laughs> Um, they're tall, they're long, they're long legs, you know. Mm. But more so in the face as well. The, mm. the 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 nose in particular is a different, you know what I mean. And a, yep. and the and the yeah, a slightly different face. Like you look at Papuans and then you look at Fijians and you can see a similar. similar. Like there was almost a split. You had the, Asi- the Islanders, Sorshay Islanders. You yeah, know? you had those that look sort of like an Asian type of culture, like the Māori and the and the Samoans and that have got this sort of Asian appearance where. The yes. Aboriginal, the Aboriginal appearances in, in the like you look at especially Thursday Islander and the Northern Aboriginals, the Murrays on the east coast of New Zealand, yep. Uh, yep. east coast of Australia, um, all the way up through Thursday Islands. Like you look at you know, good old Wendell Sailor, and you see that Wendell Sailor, Timorese type look. It's fit, a different look. The weather would fit well in, in Fiji as well. Yeah, he wouldn't. They wouldn't, wouldn't look at a place in Fiji. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Tony Puliatua, he's a Samoan, yep. but he could look like a Tongan in the Fijian too. And he's, he's tall, he's yeah. he's long legged, but most Samoans we're stocky, we like Janela, like um, Twingamala, David Tua, yeah, you know? very thick set, thick, thick set, mate. Thick bone, yeah. Um, but we even even down there they'll have a throwback where there's a tall, long, long one. So why would you say that if you're going to go on an evolution aspect, why would you say that? The, those guys and you know developed that way. Well, like I said, the the gene pool that you got on that island, you, you're stuck with that gene pool, right? and then and you and the environment that makes made their place um the um what do you call the the resources on that island that made it successful. Yep. And how, whatever attribute they had. So you're going to say dietary stuff as well. It has to be. The environment comes into it. Yeah. Well, I guess. I guess the long lean, I mean, you get that with the Indigenous, the Australian Aboriginal. Um, you, right. you look at a lot of the Southern and, and Central Aboriginals. Well, that's right. Very thin, people. 
You know, they're desert people. You know, you look at look the yeah. design for that environment. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they they could you look at that. They got their heels. They got their, the way their feet are walking along. They they the, the, the perfectly developed and evolved. No unnecessary muscle either. Like they don't have big calves. That's right. They don't need so much. I mean, they need to eat. They don't need as much. They don't have their calves. But then you look at these Samoans and and people like yourself, Samoans. Different, yeah. We've got big calves. Big calves, big, strong, a lot of muscle density. Yeah. Yeah. Was it because of the warrior culture, you think? Like, you know how. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Would have been, that would have been part of it. You know, had to, yeah, I mean, you had to be bigger or stronger than that to survive, you know? Like, if you're weak, you died back well, then. Well, I can understand. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know about the Polynesians, cause I, but I could only just imagine it has to be the same how it was with the Maoris. Yep. And they just on just on a bigger level, you know? But if you're a Maori growing up and you, you, you're kind of not, like, you're not this massive male, was there a place for you in the Maori society? Was there... Uh, if, well, if you weren't this sort of warrior type guy, maybe like. maybe so, but I, they would have come along later on. That's yep. that's from more um, European blood coming into Maoris. Yeah, and then you'll get the, the little ones to come through. No, let's go before then. Then, so when yeah. you were still like, yeah, we have when to, you we guys are clubbing each other on the head, like, yeah. So that's why. So the attribute to survive that environment was to be strong, hearty, and um, you know. So what what are the weapons that was used in in a t- typical well, typical Mar- Polynesian Mar- clash? Polynesian weapon was a, a wood or bone a bone club, yep, or greenstone club. So uh, greenstone's obviously shaped from stone. What what part? What where was the bone coming from? Or what was it? Was whale, whale bone. Whale bone. Yeah, yeah. whale bone. Um, and just natural wood. And we had um a taiha. That was it looks like a spear, but we don't throw it. Yeah, it's. And um, the English when they when they come across our warriors with the taiha. You know, they thought their bayonet yep. was the ultimate hand-to-hand um, hand combat until they come across our warriors who used this weapon, like, you know, if you watch them, but it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's, it is beautiful. And it's, it's like samurai, samurai warriors with the samurai sword. And, and the, yeah, and the, and, and the, the, the art that was involved in the, in well, the, the whole, art. Well, the whole spiritual, you go and create, you built, you go in the bush and you, you find a piece of wood, then you carve it up and then you, you name it and it gets you know, it becomes a part of you because everything's alive. Everything's everything lives as a, has a has a life force. Even the stone. And you guys call that mana, isn't it? Wailo, Modi. Modi is the life force of something. Yep. Uh, even an inanimate object. Got it. And then there's a lot of races, or there's a lot of cultures around the world that have their kind of, you know, those kind of they kind of thinking. It's not just a stick. Yeah. Yeah, it was not just a rock wall like Uluru. Yeah. You know, that's that's an ancestor. That's right, yeah. yeah. You know, rock, how's that rock become an ancestor? Well, evolution will show you. We, we evolved from the planet Earth. Right? That's our ancestor, whether we like it or not. You know, how human. We know, that, we know that today through science, don't we? Yeah. And we've taught that. We didn't, we didn't know that through science as little kids. We got taught that from our, from our grandparents, and they got taught from their grandparents. So. So you had the what was it taha ta, taha? I'm um, taha. Yeah. Taha. You had your greenstone, which was a shorter, so that was a more in close in type yes. fighting tool. Was there any others that was? Was it mainly those just two? Because I there I, was um there, there, there was a, there's a there's a couple, but those are the those are the favourite ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially the taha because the taha gave you a little bit more distance. Yep. I can. I can and when you strike with the tail, what, where was were you aiming for a particular part of the body? 
like say for example head or neck or, or um, collarbones even you know what I yeah, mean yeah well, well if I can get a strike on you because you probably got a thigh hard too yeah uh, you can, we, we, we like like saying what for tip 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 especially if you're good yeah. you know, if, you, if you're a Morocco specialist because that's what's called Morocco that's, that's the handle of weapons uh, yeah. the art of fighting weapons and there's some good battles but pull that chair closer if you want to Put the drink down if that's what we're Well, they both both warriors. And they, when they meet each other, they both believe that they are the elite and they're the better of the other ones. So, whichever side you want to support and believe, well, you believe that. And when he got when he when he got beat, it's, it's, it's obviously shattering to him as the psych as a warrior. Because right? now everything I believe as a, as a whole my whole life. I'm not, I'm not pissed obviously because I've just been what George just wasting me you know yeah, what I mean yeah. now in our culture we cannibals okay yeah but was it always fight to the death though or not always uh if, if we're fighting though yes if it's a tribal thing where we're facing well, off so let's let's just paint this picture for a sec so okay. my tribe and your tribe yes uh we're gonna have a stink it's gonna we're on like, and it's what was what was the reason for was it territory? Was there other reasons that could be anything? Could be an insult. Yep. Could be an insult. Could so very be... proud, very proud cultures about. You came across all, a, it was all honour. Joy, have you called a Marianne name? Any kind of name derogatively? Yeah. What kind of what kind of what happens after that? Do they get very offended? Yeah, yeah. How long does it take us to learn the art of taking the piss? Yeah. <laughs> so it takes us a few years to work out. Oh, Billy T was uh, pretty proficient at it. So, <laughs> well, the taking the piss, I didn't know what that was for ages. I thought my brains wanted me to give them a hiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they just—it's just how Australians are. They take the piss. Yeah. So, so there's been an insult. Yeah, insult. So, and and and, and, and well, is, it, is it a one-on-one thing or is it tribe me. versus you're insulting. tribe? Or? No, I'm not. Just, I'm not. I'm not just me. Just say I'm from. I'm a, a descendant. I got. All, I got all my ancestors who I believe are the. the you know, I represent them. I've got a whole day. You know. Their pride, yep. No, I've got to make sure that it's represented well. You run me down, I can't. Let, I can't let you get away with that because you know that's how I believe. I've got to. You're insulting my whole, my whole everything about me. So then, do you grab all your brothers from the tribe and say, "I've been insulted. They're insulting you too. We're gonna." Yep. So I go and say, I go and. So it becomes the, this gang mentality. I go to the elders to the because in, in our culture, the elders, you don't, you don't. If you're the chief. You're the chief till you die. Yeah, yeah. They get old and retire. Yep. And I and if I'm your son, I, I'm not the chief until you die. So I can't sort of take over and say you're no man now. We're yeah, going to war. Yeah. Yep. You're the man. Even though I may want to, I've got to ask you. We've got to ask you. And if you know, if you agree, well then, our elders will go meet with um, the other tribe's elders. Got it. And they'll have a meeting. Right. And they'll try to discuss this. So if we can, can we get past this, or does blood have to be spilt? That was too much of an insult that some blood needs to be spilt. And if they can't work it out first, then they say, okay, no worries. Tomorrow morning we'll come out here when the sun first sun up, and we'll go to, and we'll fight. Yep. The next morning, our warriors are out there facing each other, hundred meters away from each other, getting ready. <sighs> no, now. We're so for those, for those that aren't, can't see what you're doing, you were, just, yeah, you're simulating ready for the haka. We're, yeah. we're warming up, right? Now that's, how can we, that's what the haka was for, to get you ready. Like if we're going to start killing each other, but we, you know, 
Well, I know the Scottish. I mean, sorry, I know the uh, the Viking had berserkers, and and they were just absolutely mental. Yeah, and they were yeah, they, yeah. they were the elite of the fighters. So they they go to the end, the berserkers, wouldn't they? Yeah, they, yeah, that's, that's it. Right. They, yeah, they they throw themselves in there until death. To their death. So yeah. Zulus had a similar. They had a similar um, part that when they were in the, when they knew they were going to go home. The witch doctor had given them a little medicine in, the, in their little medicine packet that they would have, and they only had this medicine if they knew they'd been stabbed or something. They went, they're going to die anyway. But before I die, I'm going to take as many as you can out before I go. <laughs> right? And that's what this medicine was for. Yeah. And now they they analysed that medicine. It was magic mushrooms, so LSD. Ah, right. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the witch doctor would give them a whole packet of herbs. They found that was marijuana. So that was the first part you'd sort of had. And then they had another packet in there that they, you didn't open unless you knew you weren't going to go Was it away. really marijuana? Like, I mean, well, they, you... they, they analysed it. They tested it. Was herbs and marijuana? Because, I mean, if I was stoned, I'd be like, oh, fuck fighting, man. I just want to just chill out. You know, like. That's, that, but that's because you are a novice smoker. Marriage, <laughs> 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 Marriage, we'd have a smash. Have a joint and go play rugby league, mate. We're going to have a run. We're going to play touch. Put, put my eye in. So that. They would. Yeah. This, is, this is Zulus I'm talking about. That's what yeah, they had. Yeah. Maoris, um, we could we could be calm one second, bang next minute I'm ready to go yep. and kill. Yeah. Uh, we've evolved from that. The haka helped us get to that mode because that's what's going to happen. Okay. And each would each tribe have their own haka. Yeah. It, it was purely tribal. Yes. So the one that you see now, I mean, because we've got to talk like. Oh, we, we got to, we, for anyone that's listening, we've got to try and imagine that, you know, obviously people Wait. listening. So the one that, the haka that people will be familiar with. The one with, that you know that most of the world here is Kamati, Kamati. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Now, Kamati, Kamati belonged to one tribe. Right. right? But that one tribe had, um, he had close communications with um, the English and New Zealanders. So they sort of, they, you know, when they made us into people, they adopted that one. Got it. And, and they have done, and have been that one for so long. That's why they changed the the all black haka couple of pango to represent the men in black. It's, it's, it's not you can't be like you know, a whole country's got one tribes. That's not my tribe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know was I mean? a lot of Maori pissed off that that, that become you not know? really. Maybe the people whose tribe whose haka it was. Yeah, you know, copyrights, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I never thought that's yeah. Now the whole world knows it now. Yeah, you know what I mean. So they all those things, all those things come into it. And I remember, I remember that. Speaking of that haka, come at that, come at that call. It was, yep. I'm running, I'm running, uh, um, and then you're hiding, and it's something about mother's it's womb about, it's or about something. About a chief called right? uh, and Tarupaha was being chased by these other Maori chiefs. Yep. And because Maori chiefs hold themselves in such a high regard, he there was a lady that was um she's. Looking after Kumara, Kumara's sweet potatoes, a potato right. pit, and um, she told Tarepa to hide down in the potato pit, and I'll stand on top of the, I'll stand on top of it, you know, and they won't find you. Now, for a chief of um Tarepa's, you know, St- status, stature, yeah. to be standing underneath a woman, got it. Okay? So, you know, so when these chiefs come past. They're not even then. Tarapaha not even down there. He wouldn't be standing underneath a woman. Yeah. But that's what the haka says. Right? Um, kamate, kamate, which means, will I die? Will I die? Kaora, kaora. Will I live or will I live? Tenei te tangata. Will this person above me, this hairy person, you know, this huru huru huru. That's what they got to do. Huru huru. Because yeah. what's he looking at? 
<laughs> that he is the hoodoos. The hoodoos. He's under the hoodoos. He can see this woman's ears. Yeah. Right? And I, I'm the puhuru puhuru na na itiki mai. Will I ever see the sun again? You know, he's down in the pit. He's, he's getting chased by these warriors. Other warriors going to kill him. Right? So he's saying the sucker to himself. And it's translated to, will I ever see the sun again? Then he goes, oh, who pane? One foot out. Kaupane, two foot out. Oh, pane, kaupane. Fiji tera. I see the sun again. He's coming out of the hole. And that's what that hucker is about. Now, when the English here, they didn't really know what, they didn't know their story. They just thought that's a good thing to do. And, you know, when we go play the rest of the world, we'll use it. We'll use it. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people out there. Everyone knows the haka, but it'd be very interesting to see how many people know. Look, you've just, tr- you've just translated. Right. So but How does that work for rugby? Doesn't even mean nothing about rugby union, doesn't it? Not at all. Doesn't even talk nothing about the All Blacks. Yeah, being in a hole and looking up at a hairy punter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it, it is, we've been using it for so long now. And if you had a look on the weekend in Perth, the All Blacks did that haka. They did come up there, come up there. Because it's a crowd favourite. Yeah. We've always known that haka. Every little Kiwi boy knows that haka. You know, we didn't really grab grasp the concept that it come from one tribe. Because we thought we were all New Zealanders. Yep. You know? That's, you know, we, Māoris of today weren't brought up with knowing their history. Yeah. You know? I didn't know my history. I learned lots, a lot of my history over here in Australia. Wow. You know? Did you get, you? so you went searching for it? Did you, was it through books? My was dad told me, bro. My dad told me about this stuff when I was little. Yeah. As, as your father would. Right? But your dad, he tells you a lot of stories, eh? Right? And when my father told me that Māoris won war, now, I'm a clever boy. I speak English. If they're the Māori's one more, why am I speaking English? Right. He's telling one of his fish stories again. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it was to me as a kid. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I love New Zealand. I love Kiwis. Because that's what I believed in myself to be, a Kiwi, a New Zealander. I come to Australia and realised I was a Māori. And... Um, and I have, to, I have to, I can't just disregard them. I can't disregard my ancestors. You know, I'm tied in through the, whether I knew it or not, I didn't, I, I, I did know it, I know it now. You know, I cannot just say, I can't forget the past. You know what I mean? Because if you don't know where you come from, how do you know where you're going? How do you know you're not walking back the same way? You know what I mean? So we've got to know where we've come from, but I can't just cut it off. So it's, to me, it was a, it was it was easy to disregard that culture and just become um, I don't know what what were we? We're not really were we really um, Europeans? Never. No, we didn't. No. We weren't, we weren't really. There was something different about us. We knew it. <laughs> we even lived differently. We we. But I think I think in adversity, and I think after all that travel and identifying yourselves in a new country as as a race and all that kind of stuff gives you a cultural base and a pride and a feeling of belonging which I think lacks a lot today you know especially with young men today having a cultural tie and you see a lot of people who are second third generation of something from a country say for example uh, my father's German so for me to identify German gives me more of a feeling of culture even though I don't know the culture than it does by identifying as Australian, because as an Australian, you got, you got I'm, I'm like, well, what's my culture as an Australian? You know, because when I think of Australians, I think of the Aboriginal culture, yet I'm not Aboriginal, so I'm caught in this place of, well, I don't, know, I don't know exactly where I fit. 
I know because well, Australia is a little bit different to us. New Zealand, New Zealand. Once New Zealand found themselves, England gone. England's left them now. You fellas are here when you own. Uh, well, you better deal with those Maoris yourself. <laughs> okay, you ain't got the support of the of, the, of you know of all these fancy the, the ships. Colony. And, of the colony, you on your own. Is that, is that Waitangi Day? That's was, the day that we signed the treaty. Yes, that's the day you signed the treaty. Yeah. So okay. when was the day? That was the day that the 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 English said, "Rightio, it's now New Zealand. It's your country." No, well, that's what they say. That's what that's what they're trying to tell us today. But that wasn't the case at all. What it was was that was the, that was the day we gave the Queen permission to govern her people that was in our country. That's what that day was. We gave her permission to come over because she didn't have no leg to stand on in our country. Because the Maori never said, "Oh, look, it's, here's well, the you, you know us, you know Maori's, but yeah. you reckon they would have given up there? No way. No, no. We didn't even give up to each other yeah. without a fight. You think we're going to give it to some woman halfway across the world? True. No way. But we understood that there's a lot of people here now that are not else. And, you know, where's the closest English military? Sydney. Governors. Governments in Sydney. And now if you're an enemy of the British, where's your sanctuary in the South Pacific? Over by the Marys. Because you're not going to go live in the desert by the Aborigines, are you? Because this, this environment's a desert to, to, you, to the UK people, right? Yeah, exactly. New Zealand's more like home. Nice, green, wet, and same kind of weather. And um, over there, there's no red, there's no red coats. There's no, you know, British got no, f- they can't do nothing in New Zealand. So if I, if I'm an Irishman, been sent to Australia as a convict, I'm looking at New Zealand as a good place. You know, I can't get back to Ireland, but it's looked pretty good, better than Aussie. Because who wants to be around these red coats? Because these cats have been, you know, you've seen Gone with, you've seen those movies. What's that movie with um, old Sydney town and all that? You know. Not a very nice place to be. No, well, I mean, there was... There was a Last, you know, it was shocking. Well, there was the story of Mary Bryant, actually, who was... Uh, she was a convict that was sent out to Australia. Yeah. And uh, she actually stole a longboat with a partner. I can't remember his name. But they they stole this longboat and they, they attached a sail. And they sailed from the Sydney Harbour, Botany Bay, up to... They first stop was Newcastle. And yeah. then from there, they just... Along the, along the coast. Along the coastline. And they got all the way up to Timor. You know, and they they, they ran into another boat in Timor and then who discovered that they're actually escaped convicts because the, the word had got out by the time they got up there. But, yeah, yeah they reckon that the Redcoats, especially here in Australia, were, it was a horrible time. And the Redcoats obviously being English soldiers under the sovereign that's, of that's right. sovereignty of the Queen. But, yeah. So, so a good sanctuary for a lot of... No, people taking and t- taking stolen generations, really, if you ask me, when they get taken for a loaf of bread, stealing a loaf of bread or whatever you're stolen in England, and you get sent all the way halfway around the world for the rest of your life. Yeah, a bit of a cop out to try and colonise another place, isn't it, really? Well, I mean, and I, and I, what's my choice? I've got to stay in Sydney with these. With these. The ironic thing is that the, the, where I live now, which is the northern suburbs, extreme northern suburbs of Perth, yeah, it's full of English. And they're all moving here because it's what a great place it is. And they're leaving yeah. home. So yeah, if the English were smart, what they would have done back in the day was all of them had left England, leave the convicts back in England and packed up and come on out. But uh, Bro, they wouldn't have handled the 37. They wouldn't have handled the 40s. <laughs> they would have killed them. They had to wait for aircon. <laughs> uh, they wouldn't so, have been able to live over here. They wouldn't have wanted to. It would have been horrible. Nah. So we're touching on rugby league, mate. So when you uh, you come to Perth, anyone that's from Perth, 
Uh, a lot of people in, in the in the circles of Western Australia that that I deal with mainly know me from the music scene and and that. But there's a whole, as I was saying, a whole other side of it. I actually come from a, a very um, a rugby league background. I, I played a lot of rugby league growing up, and also you know played pretty good level rugby league growing up, and then come over to Perth and. Um, basically came to Perth to die as far as my rugby league career went come over here and rugby played, league, played rugby a league few, died in Perth <laughs> played a few years over here and then uh, and then finished up mate but uh, I must admit always playing with Mighty Fellas and that I had a real affiliation with um, yourself and all that so I got to know a little bit about the culture but man, we had some great parties back in the day it was it was it was good times we always always you, you were the guy Kieran was the guy that after a game and all that kind of stuff, at, at three in the morning, we'd be we'd go out. This is back in the day. We'd go out to a place called it was called Justice back then. So we were sponsored by the the old Bailey, which was just directly across the road from the courthouse in Joombalup. We'd do all the uh, officialdoms, and then we'd head down to Justice. And the funny thing was, there was you had a couple of sort of skinny white guys on the front door, and you had about thirty blokes walk down, and that of. Uh, Marty Coulter and Rara Tongan and we, you know, and I'm going to bring a few names up. You had Rara, Marcus Beatty, yourself, Billy, it was uh, uh, Darren, uh, Watford, uh, Dalen, you know, they're yes, just, just, just a few. You had, you know. Andrew Harangi. Andrew Harangi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these guys would sort of rock down. Poor security would just open up the door for us and pray to God like we, but we policed ourselves down there and. Well, they looked after me, and they made sure the boys behaved. We uh, so Kieran was he was like the godfather. What what would happen? We'd go down, and I was one of the lads as well, so I was always down there as well. Now, if one of us ever had an issue, and the problem is, you'd get sometimes idiots. It's a nightclub, so you're going to get idiots that had, you know, you'd you'd bump into a guy or spill a drink or something, or you're on your way to somewhere, and some guy's just got a skinful and wants to have a crack at somebody. You'd have an issue with someone, and then it would be. Uh, he would sort of pull his uh, pull his head in pretty quickly when he realised that well, one of the I used to call it the Maori Mafia back down there back in the day, and they used to control sort of this club to a degree because no one would would play up, and and because of that environment, a lot more people came because there there was never any trouble because you know you guys sort of policed it amongst yourselves and well you know. we we never made any trouble. We knew we, no, we, we had knew, a fat time. No, we knew we, our bread was getting buttered because we get looked after. We got really well looked after. I mean, I, I seriously didn't pay for a drink for about three years in that joint. Like, and not many places when it's time to go, they give you a bottle of Jack Daniels in the cart and the take with you. Keep coming back. Come ask us who do, who's staying back with us. You know. And then when we go, they give us a cart and the bottle. And then probably end up joining us after they've closed up the pub. <laughs> oh, it was good. It was really good times. But uh, so so Kieran, Kieran was the guy that he was he was the head man. He was the one that kind of made sure we all looked after ourselves and had a good night. And I made sure it was a team effort. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Was no really, one got left behind. You don't see that anymore. Like pubs and that have changed these days. And and a lot of the people that listen to this are, are musos. And unfortunately have grown up, a lot of the younger generation, anyone born from 2000 onwards or, say, even 1990 onwards, if you're born around then, you missed out on the on what what it was like back then. It was the best time for one. There used to be live bands. We used to go there. There'd always be live music down there. And it was absolutely thump and pump. And, and it was all these lads that sort of kept it, kept it sort of... Uh, and, and I see a lot of the boys now, and, and they married girls that they met from that place. Uh, you know, like, it was it was... Pretty full on. I'm just trying to think of um, 
think of a couple that might be still with someone today that um, that, that would have John, met someone. John Brown the, and Tisha. Was that just a start? JB and Tisha, yep. Yeah. I, I thought Tisha was on the scene though. I thought she but was. She was always there. She was there. Yeah, prior to that. But there was all these people that got together and from, from just that club. So it's kind of, it's a really good memory. And, and I got to Perth and I didn't really know many people. And uh, as I said, I was playing sort of first grade back then, but the guys that I was playing with weren't in that click they weren't out for a bit of a good time afterwards and <clears throat> because but you got to remember we're in we're in a state that's not rugby league state so we're thick as thick we stuck well, together we, our Aussies over here don't play rugby league very much you know, they're not really all our rugby league players are eastern status you know were you there here's a good here's a good rugby league mad monday story were you there when we ended up at the uh opposite what? opposite the crack what's that Aberdeen the Aberdeen one night Aberdeen, and all the guys from the AFL who won, I think it might have been Claremont, they won the trophy that year, the the West Australian AFL, which is pretty prestigious here in WA. It's it's huge. Remember we stole it? That wasn't that was I wasn't there. There was there was Horse Elliot, <laughs> myself. Um, who else was? Maybe Dave Huber. Probably Dave. It sounds like Dave Huber. Yeah, it was a fit. But then it ended up back at um, Horse Elliot's Man Club back in the day and. <laughs> It was pretty funny because uh, I think I can't remember. I might be getting my stories blended, but I think Melbourne Storm were over here partying with us because they had lost. They they they'd lost the grand final or something like that, and we we're all partying and the AFL were out sort of celebrating the grand final victory, and we're we're back at Horse Elliot's uh, all stripped down not club back then, and we're all partying and we're drinking out of the the AFL, and then <laughs> we're it comes six o'clock, seven o'clock, and it was like news break, news break. And then it's like all this, the 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 club was out, and they had the chairman of the club going, "Oh, we're really sorry, but we don't know where the trophy is." And here we are drinking out of it. <laughs> at uh, horse, he played for um Cottesloe, South Perth. South Perth. Yeah, I think he might have played for Cottesloe before, but he's from Darwin, eh? Horse, I'm not sure. I believe he's from Penrith because I I know that he's related to Maddie Elliott, the coach. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you know Horse that well, but. Yeah, he's Matty Elliott's brother, play, who coached Penrith and a few other clubs in the in the no, NRL. No, why are they all in there, bro? I don't know. Yeah, well, for some no. reason, I thought you were. But he's, while we're on the topic of stories, Kieran and I did live together up in Broome, and we we uh, we we used to do a lot of things together, a little bit of music, but mainly just hang out and enjoy ourselves. And um, well, one particular uh, afternoon. Kieran had the grand idea that he loved fishing and he loved going out with fishing with me and all that kind of stuff. But I'd found a neat little, uh, I was introduced to an awesome fishing spot. A secret spot that he wasn't allowed to share. That I wasn't, wasn't supposed to share and it caused ended a lot up of on shit. the news. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I've been shown by this sort of gun fisherman up in uh, Sean, his name was, up in up in Broome. He goes, look, I don't mind showing you because I know you're not going to show anyone else. So, And I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. So I'm, I'm telling the boys as we're going across now, there was a guy called Marika. And there was there was Kieran and both these guys. Marika's also Polynesian descent. Oh, is it Marty? He's Marty. Yeah, he's Marty. I wasn't yeah. too sure, but Marika is. Uh, Marika, like, yeah. He would have been good, hundred and fifty kilo, big unit, big big Marty lad. And then uh, Kieran sort of probably pushing one forty, and there's me pushing one twenty, one thirty. So we've got three massive units in this boat, and I've got to paint that picture. I've got to paint the picture. So. We've decided to go fishing the next day. So we've loaded up the boat and we're going across. Now, the thing is, when you travel across Roebuck Bay in Broome, you've got a 12-metre tide. 
So you can have six metres of water under your one minute, and the next minute you've got nothing. You're on a dry sand bed, and the water currents and all that kind of stuff is fierce. It really is. So I needed a, I basically had a 4.4 metre tinny with a 50 horsepower engine on the back. I needed to be able to pump. With 300 kgs sitting in it. 300 kgs <laughs> of ballast. And uh, we went across to this place fishing, and it was a great day. Sun shining, and as we're going in, now you tell the story. We, ta- we, we, we saw that fellow in the boat. Remember the, the he, looking- was, he was coming up the river, and we should have taken it as a cue because he was looking at us as he came past. A bit of a you know, did these blakes don't they know what's going on? The tides are going to run out. Well, I didn't know, but that's what the look I didn't was. know either. But I did ask Maruka, I went, Maruka, can you read the tide chart? <laughs> right? And he goes, Oh, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah, um, 4.8 meters. Oh, it's 6.7 meters. <laughs> Oh, very good. So it's a neat tide. Sweet. We're laughing right here. Let's go to this spot then. So we've shot across the bay. And Kieran's right. This guy looked at us as if to say, what the fuck are you guys doing in it? They're getting out. The, the water's running hard. They're getting out. And uh, and I'm sort of going, oh, this is interesting. But anyway, we're fishing away. Started to catch some really nice barramundi. Nice big barramundi. And then I turned around to Morocco and I've gone, uh, have you got that tide chart? And he's gone, oh, yeah. And then I've picked it up and had a look at it. And it was a massive tide. It was like a 12-metre to a, a 3-metre tide, which means we're, we've got no water. <laughs> now, we've, we've gone across the bay at least 50 to 55, 60 kilometres, like shot across the bay, um, way up at a place called Thangu. And we're up in this little creek up around that area. Tidal creek. Big tidal creek. And we're starting to run out of water fast. So we've decided to try and get out. Now, the sun's coming down at that period. And we can't just shoot on out because we got we, we got to, we're trying to push the boat. Across. We're trying to push a boat across dry sand. We're, we're trying to the little land bridges, the <coughs> sand bridges that started to develop. We kept getting the boat over. We're trying to get out as soon as we can before we're locked in there. Uh, we had singlets on and board shorts, and I think we had a hat. That was it. Uh, so Broome is a very hot place during the day, and of a night it can be freezing. And we found that out. So we're, we're caught for the night. Kieran, can you remember? No, how, we, how cold we got was to the it? we got to the mouth of the river. Yep. By then it was dark. That's right. It was dark, and we had to. We decided we got no lights on our boat, but we now had to take the fifty, you know, the fifty kilometre track across the bay again, back to where the jetty was or where our, our cars were. And those waves are huge. Yeah. Hey, and the wind was blowing, the wind had picked up. And then I was a landlord, but I was keen to get home. But you, Murugan, he didn't want me. He, he was a bit, you no, know, he's a bit wary of the big waves being from Taupo. He was, uh, <laughs> he was, no big waves in Taupo. But he, uh, he, yeah, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to take the chance of trying to get across the bay, being swamped by a wave. So I made the executive decision, boys, we're, we're camping the night. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that decision because. I had enough of fishing by then. <laughs> Not only were we out of food, so so we thought nothing of it. Now, the thing is, we've got no signal in this area too. There's no, We're up in the middle of nowhere. There's no radio signals. I had a marine radio, and I did try and radio in, but we're getting nothing. And uh, I didn't want to run the battery down. But we were. We didn't feel as we were in danger. N- not n- right. not once the whole time. Uh, what they asked us, why didn't we use our... Our bloody... Um, E-perd. Yeah. Yeah, and I went, well... It wasn't, we weren't... We were waiting for the tide to come and we were going to go. Yeah. That's all we needed to do. It wasn't a problem. We sort of, yeah, because... Okay, so we'll just skip forward a bit. The next morning, we've got no problems. There was a there was a plane or a chopper 
a plane, plane, there plane was a, and a boat. There was a plane out searching for us, and he's doing circles above us, and he's radioing in. And anyway, to be honest, I wasn't sure how to answer him. I could sort of, I said, "Yeah, we're cool, mate." I remember saying that, and then we're just going to make our way back to make our way back to yeah. I said, "Mate, just waiting for water. As soon as we get water, we can go back, you know, and it's safe." Which I thought was, and to, to our defence, we'd done the smartest thing we could have done. And yeah, well, so we stayed the night, but you can imagine anyone back at home that hasn't heard from us, when you go out fishing and you just don't come home, is very scary for a lot of people. And in, in particular, um, Kieran's mum, God love her, and uh, she, she was really freaking out at that point, rang the authorities to say, look, my boys and that went out fishing, and she used to call me my, my boys, so like we... we we didn't come home, and, and she was obviously really worried, and the families were worried. My family didn't know. They weren't anywhere up there, but I live with Kieran's family, so they were all sort of like the guys haven't come home and Kieran's long-time partner and everybody just freaking out, wondering where we had gone. So anyway, we got we got back in the boat, no problems, shot across the bay. It was all hunky-dory, but let's just quickly go back. That night, mate, was freezing. Well, Fre- I remember, because water ran out, and then when the water come back in, it was too dark. That's why we couldn't go out. We couldn't go across the bay. So we had to go back up there and wait for the water to tide the go out again and and come back when the sun come up. Right? And we were sitting on our boat, ended up leaning over that way because there's no water. <laughs> <laughs> and we all snuggled up, spooning each other. <laughs> trying three, to keep warm. Three massive men in a boat, freezing. So we took... I had a canopy that was on the boat, so... Our survival tactics were get the canopy, let's all hop under it, use it, as a, use it as a blanket, just sleep it off, and then we'll get up the next morning and we'll go. And anyway, we've <laughs> got up the next morning, there's still no water. Still still no water, and I'm just thinking, oh, God, how long is this going to be? So the boys got out. I remember you tried to light a fire, which I thought was the funniest thing. Now, now I'm going to say this. I was... I was the white fella in this mob, right, with white fella's school of thinking, which is just wait it out. These two units here, were, was one, they were hungry and decided we're going to cook the fish that we've just got. <laughs> Take that, get that fucking fish. Take the on, bro. <laughs> yeah, it tastes like fuel. <laughs> I wish I had this last night, eh? Yeah, look at Yeah, it won't it won't take up because as soon as it gets cold, it'll hit the bottom and just burn out. Anyway, that's what I call embarrassing. So they've decided to light a fire now. Five minutes. So they, they went looking for some some. They, they found a bit of wood. Some which was all grade, driftwood that had been waterlogged. And they're trying to get the fire going. They said, we can't get it going. So then they've decided to use the fuel out of the boat to light the fire. And I'm saying, nah, we need the fuel. Don't use too much. And they're pouring this fucking fuel on the fire. And they're trying to light up this waterlogged, waterlogged wood with the fuel from the boat. And I'm going, boys, just forget about it. And I'm at this point going... These cats. Oh, oh, yeah, these guys are idiots. And I've actually got somewhere I've got on footage of it camera. on camera. I'm going, have a go at these two dickheads. <laughs> Trying to light a fire. Now, the thing with the tide in in there is that 
the the tide comes in through the sand and it actually comes up through the sand and then lifts up and then also the washes in when the sand gets wet enough to the point where it's it's waterlogged. So but at this point, point they're trying to light the fire and the sand's getting wetter and wetter and wetter, putting the fire out. They're pouring more fuel, which we fucking need to get home on, pouring it more than they were trying to get this fire to work. And then I went, boys, just get in the boat. No, we're right. What they didn't realise is we didn't have an anchor out and the boat was drifting further and further away because the water had grabbed it by then. Well, the tide came in fast. The t- well, it does come in. Well, I mean, the, it, it was dry and then later it's... <laughs> These boys are 50 metres away from me and they're up to like one minute they're ankle deep. <laughs> Five minutes later, they're up to waist deep. And I said, boys, if you don't get in here, I'm not going to be able to get to you. You know, like you'll be swimming. Okay, you can see the tide is coming in. This is how quick the tide runs in. It's turned and it's starting to fill. And before these guys know it, they're going to be swimming. Why? Because they're idiots and have no idea. Quietly. And if they had any, they'd start to make their way back. I'd be making your way back here as quick as you can. Or high ground as quick as you can. <laughs> it's been a very entertaining day. Now, the, that swimming's all good and well. We're in croc-infested water. In croc-infested water. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys are wading through the water to try and get back to the boat. They've given up on the fire. They realised it was futile. Well, it was floating down. <laughs> I, I couldn't go anywhere because I had my fuel tank for the boat. They're trying to get it all going, and then we get in, finally get the boat going, get out of this river, and we head back to, to the port of Broome, Broome Port. And when we get back, there's a news crew. News crew. <laughs> news crew waiting for us. Uh, yeah, um, there's rescue services there. Rescue news services, there. news. Well, the rescue services got stuck too. We didn't realise. They were stuck there for four or five hours when they tried to come and get us as well. Oh, yeah, they were a, a bit pissed off with us, weren't they? Well, they were real pissed off at us because they had to come out. And I'm going, what are you doing? They went, oh, we come to rescue you. Went, because you did. didn't turn on the emergency beacon. Yeah, because <laughs> that's when he goes, have you got an e-perb? I went, yeah. They said, why didn't you put, put it on? We've been looking for you. It wasn't an emergency. And I said, well, it's not an emergency. And then they went, of, of course it's an emergency. We're out looking for you. I went, we're in no danger. I was just sleeping it off and we come back. Yeah, like... It's not like we're going to starve or anything. <laughs> and then we get back to the... We get back to port and the news guy come up to us, you know, as they do with the cameras and bloody microphones in your face and all that kind of stuff. And he's going, mate, what happened? What happened out there? I went, nothing happened. The water went away. And you can't, and I'm saying this on the news, you can't drive a boat with no water. It ain't got wheels. And then the guy's going, uh, oh, oh, was, oh. was that when you turned into your anchor man role? Right? We'd be on the camera and you give a bit of a story to the camera, remember? <laughs> I think I was t- telling some story about I was stuck out there with two cannibals or something like that. And I was the white meat between this sandwich and, you know, so I was, I was starting off. That's right, because I remember saying, 
It's not like we're going to be. I was saying, I was stuck out there with these two Māori fellas. Did you know that Māoris are cannibals? And that I was that. That's the only time I felt in danger was I thought that those two there were starting to look at me like this guy's uh, looking pretty tasty right now. And then uh, <laughs> once again, I'm going to say Maruka easily 150 kilos, Kieran 130, 140, Basalt the same. And the news guys going, you know, like, uh, you know, how did you survive? I said, dude, look at us. We weren't going to starve to death. And uh, that made the news. I, I was <laughs> safely back on shore. Their families raised the alarm when the men didn't return last night. Our reporter Drusko Jankovic was there and the men got back. Drusko, that was me. It may not have been a life or death situation, but these fishermen sure are glad to be on dry land after spending 24 hours in the 40 kilometres off the Broom coast. We weren't going to starve to death, as you can tell. But through this, <laughs> 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 it was like all snug off here last night. We were going to overnight, but we're fine. The boys set off from Entrance Point on an 80 kilometre journey yesterday morning, but halfway they hit strong winds and were forced to take refuge in mangroves at Jack's Creek. The local volunteer sea rescue searched for the men. Uh, they've done an outstanding job. They uh, were in, as soon as we did make way down contact, we stayed on the boat. Good to know that they were out there and pretty much along the ball in case something did happen. It's volunteer, volunteers generally. Oh, he's my mate! Chris Wright. Put in, Chris! But they're always pleased to get a good result. And uh, the result last night was an excellent one. And it was also a good result for the boys. But on top of that, we ended up getting some good fish, so we're stoked. And some fish. <laughs> Jessica Yankovic and Broom for Golden West News. And some fish. Yeah, it's You watch the news? Yeah, so they everyone sort of had a bit of a laugh about it. Was, it, sorry, was a, but it was a laugh. It was it was but a really good thing is that, you know, if you don't make contact, maybe set off the EPUBs just to so people can find you and you can let them know then. But I had a radio too and I was trying to radio through, but uh, not to worry. It was uh, good times, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was brilliant. Stuck up the creek. If I can, I'll, I'll actually find the footage and I'll, I'll give you the audio recording of the, of the news clip if I've still got it somewhere. I think it's this. Unless in your buff catalogue, will your um, buff head on YouTube. Yeah, I don't know if they're around anymore. I think they're not on YouTube anymore. Uh, so, uh, getting back to uh, a few things, I want to ask a few questions that, that get back to, you know, the Māori culture and that. We were talking earlier about moko, and you are saying that the moko is uh, the tattoos that... Tāmoko, yeah. Tāmoko, is it? Tāmoko, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, what, what... We'll, thought... start, we'll start with the women, because they only get under... They the... get their chin, and they might get a little bit on their forehead. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and they get their chin done. Because um, I still see some girls today with it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, they do. It's it's good that we've um, we're able to identify ourselves as, you know, because we're not just New Zealanders. Yes, we are New Zealanders, but we're not just New Zealanders. Yeah. They, they, they they can't put Maoris in the same category as um, as um, colonial New Zealand. Um, descendants from England, New Zealanders. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's what they try to do. They try to say, 
We all won New Zealand, you know? and I was brought up like that, believing that. For and I am that. For Papa, there's another part of me that I'm not gonna let them just disregard and say that. No, we're all Kiwis. Yeah, we're all New Zealanders. Um, all Blacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Um. And because I didn't know my history growing up, it was easy for them to get away with that. And it wasn't until I come to this country over here and I heard stories from other people. Stories that I never heard in my own country about, you know. Stories that my dad told me, you know. And I was thinking, well, I heard my dad tell me those stories, but I thought he was making up fish, fishman stories, you know. How, how could... In my mind, it didn't make sense. How could Māoris win war against English and I speak English? Surely if we had won, I'd be speaking Māori. So it didn't make, didn't, you know, sound like wise tales. What were those stories? Like those stories of, 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 of our wars and how we, we, we were conquered by the English. We signed the treaty and all this stuff. And, and uh, my dad didn't really know much of it either. But, because when they watched down history, we didn't have a writing. We didn't have. We didn't have that culture. We carved. We sung. We told stories. We spoke. So that's how our history was passed down through song, through dance, through speaking it. And then they, and you have a look. Anthropologists and that they that, that that's a, a credible um, record keeping formula yeah. that the indigenous people that, that they know is pretty accurate. Well, very similar to the Aboriginal culture that, that was Africans, all... Africans, the whole lot of them, yeah. Through mouth, through word of mouth. So, um, I, I didn't know this. I didn't know these things. I was brought up, I thought I was a Kiwi. And I was a proud Kiwi too. I love New Zealand Rugby League. You know? New Zealand Rugby League... Rugby league took up a lot of my life. Yep. It's, it sort of filled a gap that was missing that I thought was I thought it was. I didn't know what it was. I know what it said was my culture. It was me finding out who I was. But and rugby league filled that void up for a long time because it took my mind off that. Well, certainly, on, on just touching on that, my experiences of playing it 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 does teach you a lot about yourself. When you play rugby league, it could be, it's a it, it is a brutal sport. There's no two ways about it. I love it, but but it teaches you are you are you the type of guy that's going to stand up? And, and oh, it's good life skills. Yeah, exactly. Now you get knocked down. You get, I you get, get knocked up. down, yeah. but I get up again. Yeah. Ain't never going to keep me down. But it also lets you measure. Like, do you go missing when it gets tough? Because it can get tough. And there's there's I go missing there's when flashes I get, in the game. Every time really I go missing physical. when I get tired. <laughs> Not when it gets tough. I like to be in the right in the middle of that, but when I get tired, you I, get, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty, pretty much along that same. I mean, thing. toughness, <laughs> toughness is you no. Know, there's hopping on that field, stepping on that field. That's toughness right there. Yeah. I've got a lot of blokes that tell me they shat themselves on their field. I say, bro, you shat yourself, but you hopped on their field, bro. You tough cunt. You know what I mean? I, I never, You're scared, but you hopping and you're I jumping. Was never in. Scared. I actually loved it. You know what? Well, me, I mean, you loved it. I was, we, but it, we built like brick shit house. Yeah, but it was a case of. Hey. I guess it's something about being a man where I want to. I want to put myself against another man and see how I go. Yeah, but that's still you know I've always and that, and that gave that was my vehicle to well, see how I went against other blokes to see where I stand against other men to see where I like you know because you can't just go out picking fights because that's a mugs game it doesn't mean shit you know. 
You know? no. But the, it was a control. It was for eighty minutes. It was a battle, and, and I got and, to see how I go good. against the bloke. You know, and that was the way. That's what it was for me. And you know, I'm sure you were probably pretty similar, but. Yeah, I could see, like, especially the little. I thing. was never scared. F- well, I might, I might have been, but I told myself, oh, "Nah, I'm I loved tough." It. I loved and it. I convinced myself. I took myself out of it because I, I would like to believe I'm a tough cunt, and I try to have to live up to it. You know, I was shitting myself the whole time. So I mean, man. there was there was <laughs> days. There, there was days where I knew it was, it was going to be a very uncomfortable day, because in saying that, where I, I pitched myself against them, and usually with me, it was against the opposite front row. Because whenever I played in a team. I considered myself the the, the the enforcer or the leveller. You know, the, if, the if, man if, who you consider is that was your position. Yeah, and there was, if there was a bully on the team, on the other team that was smashing my boys, I was going to go at him and and, and you had to bring his that. attention to you. Yeah, yeah. If, if he's going to be bullying anyone, but I knew bring it here. I knew when I came up against two blokes in Perth, I'd have a shit day, and it was, and these are the only two guys I'd ever had a crap day against. Was Danny Fraser, was one. Because I knew that he was just fucking mental, and it doesn't matter what I did, he was still going to belt me all day. And the other one was Horse Elliot that we talked about before. He uh, he was the other one that if I knew I was coming up against those two front rowers, I was like, oh fuck, I'm gonna, oh no, I'm gonna be sore, sore as hell, beaten up, and they're gonna give it to me as much as I could ever give them. You know, like um, had a lot more of that in Newcastle. Of course, there were so many in Newcastle, which were just hard, tough, good footballers, but. But yep. it was those two in the in the West Australian comp that, you know, I used to... Well, they, they, Fraser was the kind of player that bring the best out of you. Yeah, exactly. You know? If you're not on your toes, he, he clean you up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, Also, there was another... Who was the other? The Maori front rower, or Islander front rower, who, who was Danny Fraser's partner. He was quite... Sifat? No, not Sifat. Uh, Kep. Yeah, Kepa. He yep. was another one, too. David Aisi. Yeah, David Aisi. Yeah. David Aisi, he's, he's loopy. He's the real deal. Yeah. He's 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 Luca. Hard came from um right east over in Sydney. Yep. Uh, um I think we've um, played with uh Terry Terry Hill and all them. Yep. Tigers, right east Tigers. Yeah. Maxi Basford and them. But yeah, Kevin was a good player. Yeah, so I always knew that you know, and then sort of we've gone off track a bit because we were talking about the Modi Moko but um, the Tomoko, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that. But so the the women had the one under the chin, and you said a little bit on the forehead. It might be this nice little one, on this nice little tiny one, this beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah, not a big agree. like like the men get. And now the men would would go full face, half face. The men would get a little bit at a time. And, and like you were saying before, after it's a, after you've done a great deed that deserved you to get a like a medal, and it was. And more what battle personal battles or you won a not fight just that or, some whatever that became, was a great thing that the tribe saw thought was man, man that's a great that's a great achievement. So if you went out and done a really good hunt and you the, come back with a good hunt, food. um, you um, yeah, anything that 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 you done was you know I don't know it could be anything. You know, you would you would that they brought great prestige yep. to to your to your tribe that you would be rewarded for it. Yeah, mainly that one was battle, and the more the more of the tomoko that the men had, the, the more, more the more battles he's had, the more prestige. That's right. Obviously, he's done a lot of things. And then then all the girls wanted to be with that guy. Well, because you guys were polygamous, right? You you, you just, have more than one. We were polygamous. It was accepted, and it wasn't like 
Well, don't look at it like how Europeans look at it because they look at it like from. I'm just thinking, thinking of all the girls that have ever been with a Maori guy. But it, no, it was not even. It wasn't just. It wasn't just he's always eyeing off other women. It wasn't just the men. The woman could be polygamous too. So there was no ownership. There wasn't like that Catholic. But I mean, Catholicism was the one that came up with marriage. But you didn't think Kelly Hart? Kelly Hart, mate. The Maori women, they're just as staunch as the men. Yeah. So, no. They're not just little quiet things that you shut up and do as they're told. Yeah, right. Having having girls with having they they help with their help you know they help you with everything. It's an easier job. Just imagine you've got five women to help help the, your wife do all the housework. Yeah, it's easy pickings, mate. You know. No, um, interesting. It is, but not only this, if they wouldn't be. You'd have to be a great warrior to have more than one wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because like, you know, but if you if you didn't have nothing, like to say, I've liked this girl my whole life as we've grown up, and I've you know, we've been, I'm going to marry you when I get older, but I've got nothing on my face. The minute she's able to marry someone, she's looking at the legend over here. He's got a full Facebook. Well, he's, he can have as many wives as he want. Right? Not even that, you know. Look at it like horse racing. That motherfucker's far lap. Okay, how does she guarantee this? Her kids are going to be. Little phylips. Yeah, she. Come to get his seed and become one of his wives. So, so, so all of these women, bro, they're looking at that warrior. He's the ugliest, most fierce looking, in, a, in our culture, back in those days, the ugliest, most ferocious looking man was the beautifulest. Yeah. The handsomest, the most desired. Yeah. No matter how much of a pretty boy he was. Would you say there's still a touch of that? In, oh, of course there is, boy. There's a touch of that and in... in Māori women don't mind. They don't mind the rough-looking fellas, but I mean, they... You know, because... Yeah, we've got one husband now, but back in those days... Right, so, you know, so you can understand that when it comes time to have a battle, what was on, what was at stake for you? Right, hey, yeah. Hey, I, I want to like get, can... get me a root. Yeah. I want to get me a woman... You know? And I got all my, all my own fellas, same rank as me, they all got the same idea. And guess what? The fellas you're going to fight, those fellas at the front, they got the same idea too. <laughs> so it's all about the, how many It's all about trying to, because the pros at the back, he got the, all the business, he's got all the girls. <laughs> you know? And I won't, I won't try to step above my rank. I won't go fight a, um, someone that's got talent because he's obviously he's better than me anyway because he's got the experience. He may not be, but just by looking at him, yeah. he's, you know, he's had a few, he's won a few battles. And, and what, what I'll be doing, I'm stealing. Mana, yeah, that's, that's not mine. That belongs to my my follower, the same kind of ranking. And it was like that. So these followers are looking at each other when the huck is going on, right? Okay, that's what the huck is for. I'm gonna eat you. And the young followers they want to prove it, they're gonna battle each other hard, right? And and then we to the two leaders of the huck, right? And there's a lot of mana in there, and it's all equal, and, and there's no um. And it's not like European wars. It's like more like samurai and samurai war, you know, honor. Hey. So if someone come up and so when you're in in, in, a, in an exchange with and a, me and you're in an exchange, yeah, and, someone and one else of my cousins come and help me, I'm gonna smash. I'm gonna cut the cuts here. I'm gonna fuck off. You're stealing. You're stealing what's gonna be mine. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm the man anyway. Yeah. So, I'm gonna. They my woman. Hey, that's my, that's my money. You need to take mine because that's for me, so I can get me heaps of wives. Does that still exist in the, the, like the modern Māori man today? Has he still got that pride? Is it, is it still there? 
Um, yes, mm. it is. You, you find some there that, that, that understand it, and some of them don't even know why they're like that. They're just there. Yeah. yeah. You know, they just got this thing in there, like toy. Yeah. Fine, motherfucker. Yeah. Proud as. Now, you know. <laughs> he doesn't know why he feels like that. He does He does now. He slowly learned, but at the time when we. Now, we haven't been told our culture. Yeah. We've just been put in this environment, and we've got. Now, you know how you train for rugby league and, and you don't get a game? Yeah. And have you got all the training, all the strength. That's how I feel. Yeah. I go, how come I'm like this? I'm like, what is it for? Yeah. Because at school, I needed to be the kids that was the ones at the pen. Didn't didn't matter how good I was at lunchtime and playtime outside on the field. What mattered was in the classroom. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Mary boys are out in the field. Yeah, they lead the rugby team, lead the lead all the sports. Come in the classroom, no one don't want to say nothing because they're a bit lost there. Yeah. That wasn't our forte. But, I mean, you only got to remember, too, you're only about four generations in from... 200 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Four and generations away from from there being no nothing else but that that tribalistic culture that, that you guys had. Yes, that, 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 that actually made, it made Māori what we are today. Yeah. That's what we are today, bro, because if we weren't like that, England wouldn't have been able to, uh, you know, they gave one tribe muskets, they all tribe guns. And um, that, for us, all of us to get guns, we're battling ourselves, eh? We're battling each other. So you had... So you can, can't imagine how much... Now, we heard about these fire sticks, bro. What? We hear about these fire sticks... They could kill a man from a hundred meters away. Right. We've seen cook, you know, cook. We've seen the cook display it. Now, no, it was only natural that we were intrigued by it, eh? You know what I mean? It's only natural, bro. You know? How could we get them? But we didn't understand what would do. What, what would it do to that? Um, to that tradition that I explained to you just then. That tradition, that, that way of fighting, we don't get to kill each other until we're within arm's reach. When the musket come, I can stand over there 100 metres and shoot you. And know what? I could be just some little chump. I could be just some little chump that got no tatties on my face at all. Hey, I could be a kid actually, I could be 12 years old or whatever, and shoot a paramount chief from, way, from 100 metres while he's doing the haka. You understand that? I'll just stuff something up. I'll just shut up. Yeah. I think I'll just pull this out. That's how it is. Yeah, so, so, you know, all our wars is about, it's really about sex. Hey. It's, that's what's really about. The right to uh, reproduce. So, so you see, in, in the fighting tribal culture, it was a it was a, a good idea for women to have the most you know, fierce warrior as the father of their children. Was it about protection, or was it more? One hundred percent. Or was it more about um, obviously ensuring survival, which everything well, let's, was. Let's back put it then. this way: if you weren't going around raiding other tribes, 
You better make sure your tribe don't get raided anyway. Mm. So you know. You Did you to... steal people from other tribes? Some places, some some tribes will wait till they've done all the hard work and just go. You know, when they when they harvest time, going, oh, I've got the manpower. <laughs> hey, go take it off them. Make them our slaves while we're at it. Okay, so even if you're not a violent game taken out, you have to be able to defend your shit. Yeah. Hey, so there was no no room for you know relax for relaxing because <laughs> even if I don't want to go take anything from anyone else somebody's going to come and try to take my shit I'd be able to protect it what the Maoris are, we have we have this we don't beg we're not really beggars if we've ever wanted something take it you're going to grab it yeah and if you stop me well, then you you're up to the job yeah? when we see when we come over here we see the Aborigines ask for a dollar or a cigarette in my eyes, when I first came out, I think, man, have a bit of pride in yourself, don't you? Know? Yeah. No, don't ask for nothing. Don't beg. But that's that's from my way of thinking. I've got to understand the Aboriginal people. That's how they. That's their culture. They share everything. Nothing belongs to no one. It belongs to everyone. So for him to ask me for that, I know that if I should be, if I asked him, he'd give it to me too if he had it. I learned that in Aboriginal, they can't. They got to give it. If they got it. They got to share it. And that's very similar with most indigenous cultures. Right? <coughs> now, right. I, know, I know it sort of fits a bit of a stereotype. You just think, big Maori fella, what does he do for a living? <laughs> I'm not a scaffolder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the next one. <laughs> I'm the, the other. You're, you're the other, I'm the, the other, other one. The other, other prime category. job. Yeah, so, um, so, so you've been working on doors now for quite a while. And, yeah. uh, mate, you've been doing it for as long as I've known you, just about, to be honest, uh, quite a lot of years. But, um, mate, I, I used to do the same. Years ago, I used to work on doors myself when I was a younger fella and uh, done that for, oh, shit, 10 years at least. Uh, so I wanna, I'm want i going to ask you, just through experience, yeah. I, wanna, I want one of your best stories. Give us uh, something interesting. And we're not talking like fighting. I'm not really interested in, but... What's something you've seen in the industry that's and I'll, I'll we'll swap stories here because I've got I've got one. I'll, actually, I'll start while you think about it because mine is a. I used to work at a place called the Jolly Roger in Newcastle, and it was a it was the place everyone went to in night after footy. So they used to employ footy players to work the doors because it was footy players coming in. So uh, we had uh, a, t- a guy. You won't know him, but you'll know of the name and. Would have heard of a rugby league player called Rambo Ronnie Gibbs, played for Manly and Australia. Ron Gibbs. Ron Gibbs. Yeah. 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 So he had his, his younger brother. Were he gear? Yes. Yep, yeah. that's the one. So his younger brother worked with us on, on the doors. How do I know that, bro? Because, well, rugby league played. Rugby league, man. Yeah. I don't know all blacks. I can tell you, you know. <laughs> yeah, Rambo Ronnie Gibbs, uh, 19, late, late 80, second row for Australia. For Manly, you know what I mean? Played for Manly and uh, not many Kiwi kids would know this shit. So really, there was Steve Gibbs and yeah, like and, and yeah, and there was his younger brother that worked with me. Um, obviously, we call him Gibbsy, like everyone calls any of the Gibbs boys. But yeah, so he worked for us, and we had a had a couple. We had a massive Islander boy called Opie Fasano. Um, he was huge. He was one of the biggest men I'd ever seen in my life. He was six eight, six nine, and all one hundred and sixty kilos, and it wasn't. It wasn't unused muscle. It was all just muscle. Like, he was Australia's strongman. You know, they do the strongman comps. He was... The, yeah. Yeah, so... But we had him on the door. So it made for a very handy outfit. 
with us, another guy called Shannon Hill and uh, Dougie Barn and a few others, just to drop some names. But we uh, had this guy that come in every night. Every night we're open, he'd come in. And I, I, st- I still can't remember this guy's name, but he was a bit walk-eyed, you know. You'd look at you and you wouldn't couldn't tell where he was looking because he was a bit. He was sort of cross-eyed. <laughs> He was cross-eyed, and, and but you what, always happened to be looking at the wrong always, eye. Always, always one eye would wander, or he'd be cross-eyed looking at him. But he was a lovely fella. But he'd have three or four drinks, and he was fucked up. And you kept getting new staff. You'd be turning over girls all the time, and every time they saw this guy, it looked like he, yeah. without having a drink, he looked like he drank too much. You know what I mean? Like his eyes are wandering around, and he kind of looked fucked up. So he'd come in and have three or four drinks, and. The rule was back then, if a girl cut you off at the bar or told you you got to leave because you're intoxicated, that when all that law, and we were, get, we were getting hammered for it, so we had to stick by it. When that law come in, we had to actually Act stick to, to it. So, yeah. and they'd come up and they and, and you'd get the you know the and they'd point at the guy and all this and I'd go oh fuck. But if it, it was a, um, we used to have a chat and I used to say right here, I said look you've been tapped again. And he goes oh really? You let him off. Huh? If it was a handicap, you would let him up, but it was actually alcohol then. After three drinks, he was fucked up. Is that what you're saying? Well, he, yeah, he was. <laughs> he was, but he wasn't fucked up to the point of, like, can't walk. He just was a drunk version of the person that looked drunk before he even had a drink. He was a drunker version of that. So the girls would think, you know, he'd had too much, but they'd always sort of point him out, and I'd go, oh, crap, not this guy again. Like, I, felt, I felt sorry for him. I, my heart went out to him. The poor bastard had three or four drinks, yeah. and, and he get kept getting tapped on the shoulder. If we had a new security guy start, they'd always find him and think, oh, and he'd always be the guy that'd go right first out, like... It'd be fucking nine o'clock at night, and it's a nightclub. Like the place just opened, and by nine o five, he's getting tapped on the shoulder and told he's had too much to drink. So, anyway, that went on for a good twelve months while I was there. And and one night, he, he kind of knew it was coming. He walked in. He goes, "Oh, fellas, I'll just try and get a couple in before I get kicked out and have to go down the castle." And I'm like, yeah, "No worries, go for it, mate." I said, "Tell you what, I'll get you a drink." So I went over and got him a, a drink and all that kind of stuff. And then he's he's sort of. He, and then he's got another one, he got another one. I said to the staff, by then they started to get to know him and, you know, they kind of realised. And we had a chat about it one night after work with, when we were having a few staffy drinks and, you know, we're saying, like, this poor bastard, he gets kicked out all the time. Have you seen him when he walks in? He looks like that when he walks in. And so the girls dees up on him a bit. So he's about 10 drinks in this night. And he was he was fucked up at this stage. And... Uh, He's, we've gone over to him to say, look, mate, just have a water or something, you know, we're trying to look after you because we like you. And he come over and he, because he'd been kicked out so much, he goes, right, yeah, I've got this, I've got this, I know I know what the deal is. Okay, now, we had two sets of stairs that go down and then one direction and turn the other direction, so two flights of stairs to get to the bottom of the club and that was sort of the only way in and out apart from the emergency exits. So he's got no worries, fellas, I've got it. Grabs himself in a headlock... <laughs> Starts wrestling himself to the door. Where no one's touching him. He's just doing this. Then he gets to the top of the stairs and goes, "I don't want to fucking leave." And then gives himself two uppercuts in the face, makes his nose bleed, and then throws himself down the stairs. <laughs> gets up in the thing, gives himself a couple of more punches to the head, then throws himself down the next flight of stairs. Looks up as he goes. Thanks, fellas. I'll see you next Tuesday or Wednesday or something, whatever that's the classic. day was. And then just walked off, and we just were there gobsmacked that this guy just. That's classic. Just threw himself down the stairs and then thanked us and 
The next time he come in, he's got a he broke his forearm throwing himself down the stairs. He's got a cast on and and he goes, oh, I was pretty pissed that night. I said, oh, I can't tell if you're sober or pissed. I said, but you threw yourself down the stairs. He goes, yeah, I won't be doing that tonight. Yeah, I've been with a couple of fellas like that. Uh, I, I had a mate, the shop was getting hassled by these blokes, this, this girl was, and um, we'd come we'd come in past, and we see that these blokes are giving the shopkeeper a bit of crap, and we're going to see if she needed any help. She goes, yeah, she was a little bit, uh, you know, feeling intimidated. <laughs> so my mate, you know, he's, he's going to grab a baseball bat, and he's walked over to these lads, and he's asking, mate, you know, asking, what's going on, mate? You, you wanna, you wanna have a go? You wanna be, a, you know, you wanna have a fight or something? <laughs> and he gets his bat. He goes, look, me and you go. Look, I'll give you a head start. He starts banging his own head with the, with the bats. <laughs> Blood starts coming down the head. I'll give you a head start. We'll have a fight. And these mates have just looked at him. And they just, they just thought he was crazy. They fucking bolted. Eh? It was so funny. <laughs> Good job, bro. you made them leave, but <laughs> there's Aussies for you, bro. They're funny. Okay. Well, speaking of that, Opie Fasala, I kicked off one night. It was on between. We had a lot of the bikers come in, and we had problems with a, a biker faction in Newcastle that would come in, and you know, and if things didn't go their way, they'd kick off. And no, bikers aren't like that, surely. No, yeah. no. And, uh, nice and polite, which is really they? unusual. Yeah, <laughs> things didn't go their way because uh, we had a problem with um, people carrying weapons up there, actually. So. It was early days metal detection, and, yeah. and uh, Alex, one of the guys that sort of had bounced there for a long time, was also a screw in the prisons over east and was metal detecting in that. And there was a guy there, and his surname was Webb, is all I'm going to say. And um, they ran the metal detector over him, and yeah, he's got a weapon. So what we did is we kept, it wasn't a safe, but it had a lockbox downstairs. So we didn't care if he carried, but you leave it at the door. You get it back all indiscreet when you. I mean, this place is long gone, so they won't care about me talking about it. But you get your you get it back at the end of the night when you walk out, providing you're not fucked up, and um, nothing's ever said about it, whether it be a knife or knuckle dusters or because a lot of these heavies and that around the Newcastle town would often led to the bounces. <laughs> well, they'd often carry a weapon. See, so we uh, we had an incident where a gun was let off one night in the club and that we clamped down on that and that we weren't going to have that up there because at the end of the day it all stopped with us so but there was one day we, we let this guy out and he, he's got his weapons back and then we could hear some shots being fired off down the road and then uh, we we heard another one which was sounded really close so we, we kind of went they're definitely shot so we shut the club door and it's locked down all the patrons were, were locked up and uh, I was upstairs, but I think Dougie and Hilly were downstairs and maybe even Opie downstairs. The door was shut. Next thing you know, bullets started coming through the front door. So they've scrambled. They're, they're, they're scrambling to to try and get out of the way. And then he, he took off. Obviously knew the heat was on him and that. And, you know, we called the police and just said, look, we have a shot fired in the front of the venue. They go, they get there pretty quick. But by that stage, apparently he's taken off now. This mightn't be exact, but it, it would be thereabouts. Apparently they went home and um, he, he barricaded himself in the house with all the weapons and the others that he had. And there was a big shootout between him and the coppers. And that all sort of kicked off at the club. So that was pretty scary. I mean, you talk about the way it was back then to now, like guns, knives, you name it. I, I wouldn't want to be in the industry for shit these days.
Yeah, well, so, people are in there, and if you're security, it's your duty to look after them. Okay? Otherwise, they do the job. Do you find, how do you find it though? Because I I, I go to a lot of places that, and some of the security I see now, just there's no way that I they can. That I would be better by myself. But I must say, the partner you got right now is a very handy bugger too, and I hope to get him on the podcast soon. Yeah, but it's overkill. <laughs> I don't need him. <laughs> it's like having the V8 racing, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Little two cylinders. Yeah, so he's, uh, yeah, he but works. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's a great guy. He's actually going to come on the podcast, and I won't tell you who it is, but he is, he is planning on coming. To, for a completely different reason, I mean, from Kieran today, we've got a lot about the uh, the Mara culture, and, and then when we get Rob on, it's going to be more about his uh, his background in... in He's a uh, world-class fighter. So, yeah, so it'd um, be good to sort of hear, hear those stories. Yeah, you keep jumping to rugby league and then back to the thing. We haven't, we haven't, we haven't even got the rival of Captain Cook yet. <laughs> <laughs> what happened with the Captain Cook when he arrived? Oh, well, come down, put a flag in the ground, and said it belongs to England. <laughs> it was funny how they could do that. Hey, what what happened there? I mean, I know we have jumped all over the place, but it was not you. It's it. Well, I have. The English have. Well, well, well with, with this conversation. Yeah, yeah, but oh. the, so the English. So we're getting back to. Well, Captain Cook, he come down. He, you know. Did it to the whole Pacific. He picked up a Tahitian, um, in Tahiti, he picked up a, a, a Tohunga, which, which is a, a, a sort of a, a witch doctor. Yep. And um, he was also a navigator. Navigated by the stars, by the tides, right? And they and Cook took him. They took him on and put him on the endeavor. Because he already, he already had a of navigation, idea of where the islands, he knew where the islands were anyway. He was a good artist. So he was a good attribute to Captain Cook. Cook used, um, his name was Tupai, and Cook used Tupai as um, a, a translator, or as um, a middleman. Because when he got to New Zealand, he, he found these Maoris to be more uh, more warfaring than the friendly Tahitians and the friendly, you know, other islanders he found. So the Tahitian, sorry, the Tahitian could speak. Yes, well, similar. We yeah. can understand each other. Yep. What? Obviously, once upon a time, we, you know, evolution, once upon a time, we were together. That's my lead, Gigi. So the, the Tahitian, you know, all of our languages are similar. Fijians is, Fijians a bit different. Tongan, Samoa, Maori, Hawaiian, and uh, Cook Island is very similar. Some of them got a few V's and L's. Some of them got S's. Māori's don't have S or V or L. But the vowels are the same. So the word still sounds the same. You know? This might be a different vowel with a different consonant. So that they could talk. So when, when Cook first landed on the, on the, on the beach, the Māori's had never seen steel before. They've never seen steel. They, they wear Stone Age people. Rocks, stone, bones, that's what we made our weapons of. So we've seen the shiny steel. One of the chief, one of the warriors ran his finger along the blade of, of the sword. And you know what happened to his hand once he did that. Well, he'd cut his hand, his can had cut. And his blood was dripped all over the sword. Now, Māori culture... 
your blood is topic. Okay, when you get your tattoos, all that stuff, you got to make sure you dispose of it properly and, and bury it. Right? Because you know, it's, it's you know, we believed, you know, we, our belief was our blood cannot be touched. No, you touch it, you can, you, you can actually control me, make me your slave. You know what I mean? You buy ah, it with right. some magic. And, yeah. It was the life force. Was well, it? anything of yours, I've got your toenail, I've got your hair. I also like the Haitian sort of the what are they called? Well, I don't the know how they did it in Haitians. I just know how they did it in my country, and that was we get, we you know one of our. It can take a, a part of your body. And yeah, well, even today we're told we we taught not to cut our hair or cut our toenails in the dark. No, I think well, what would that be? I don't know why, but that's what we're being told. Why is that? I asked my father, my mother, my aunties, why can't I? And they can't tell me that they know. They just know that their parents told them, can't cut your hair or your toenails in the dark. Now, I'm pretty smart, so I think back, and I know, I know my culture. What happens if you cut your hair and your toenails in the dark? When it comes to cleaning up, can you guarantee you got it all? Nah. Not if you live in a marae where there's no power, no lights, only fire. So what might be left there in the daytime when you get up? Bit of your hair, bit of your toenails. So it's a smart thing not to cut your teeth. We can use that and I can make you my slave. Now you got to remember, to you, you might think that's mumbo jumbo. To us, before before being told different or be, before being given a different you know, a different perspective on life, like a European ideal, it was as real as a chair. Yeah. It had been a whole, way before, you know, like the Aboriginal dream time. And that to them, before... Colonisation was as real as everything else around us. Okay, it wasn't just something that's made up hocus pocus. So, well, the more people that believe it, gets them more power. You know, if I think that I've both done something wrong, and everyone, th- my whole tribe thinks I've done something, there's a lot of people thinking that I'm going to get sick. I'll probably make myself sick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah? A lot of that shit happens. Indigenous tribes, um, even the, the Egyptians, because you know, they believe they believe it. If you didn't believe it, you sort of think that it doesn't have the power over you, and you may get away with it, but I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works. All I know is that they do that, do that, that that happens. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just does, you know? I don't know. I don't even have to understand it. Even electricity. I don't understand electricity, but I know if I switch that light on, switch that button, nothing's going to go on. Okay? I know that. I don't have to understand the electricity to know that's going to happen. You know what I mean? So I don't have to understand the magic just know that that's going to happen if I do this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You've just described religion. Well, I don't know what I described, bro. <laughs> you just described <laughs> Well, that's, yes. And that's why religion is so different Yeah. all around the world because, well, so where's God? No, in here. Where is he? Where he's always said he's been, right there, in there, everywhere. Right? It's all clicks. If you have a look at it, it does make sense, you know? There was, they have so many different religions, so many different gods, you know, who's right? And they all think that their one's right. And we're going to go to wars with no Catholics, Protestants. These fellas are killing Muslims. They're killing each other over, over what we believe is ours or is right. Mm. No, that shit's wrong. Everyone's a man. That's the beauty of being human. We're not all the same. How many Māori at their peak was living in New Zealand? When? B- before, around the time that, say, Cook, Cook uh, probably about landed, um, landed on there and decided about an, uh, 500,000 so not massive it was well balanced 
And what what was the? I mean, there was obviously no predator that was hunting Maori. Yes, there but was. There was other Maori's too. Other Maori's. <laughs> so let's while we're on that, let's talk about the Moriori because the Moriori were. They Moriori, when when we got them, you got okay. Now you you've seen the fresh. So was there anyone in New Zealand when the when the when the Maori first arrived in their boats coming, and found this? So other than me, I can't I can't I can't honestly tell you, but. Is I, there any stories of it yeah. in your culture? Or? Yes, the stories is we've been there the whole time. Yep. I, I don't know about this migration stuff, we've been there the whole time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, fair call. Yeah. And I don't know if that's not true or not. There might have been, like, there might have been people that were there already. Yeah. And then the, uh, the new colonisations of warfaring people. You know, you got to remember, we, we, Maori always got to New Zealand a little bit early, maybe a couple of hundred years earlier, and they were only a, a small... They weren't as large as the, the major population of Maoris that come come across. So, the, the theory to that is that they may have been shipwrecked there accidentally. It wasn't really a planned migration, and because there was only a small number of them, um, they didn't have to fight. They didn't. Be, they didn't become warfaring people. They just become farmers. Mm-hmm. Over, after two hundred years of being in New Zealand, before the warfaring Polynesians got there. They've been fighting each other. They just left the islands because they overpacked, well, because of war. And they come to New Zealand. These other other inhabitants there that are not aggressive, or they're not, you know, they've they've gone away from their kind of from warfaring society, which is Moriori's. Okay, now the Moriori's. So I thought they lived on the predominantly from an island just off New Zealand. Um, now they were in New Zealand first. Yeah. When the when the. When the, well, I'll call the Maoris the Freshies. Okay? <laughs> when the Freshies got there, Moriori's, we naughty. We 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 attacked them. Of course, we would attack anybody because we were fight, fighting people. They didn't fight back because yeah. they, 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 they they had a meeting. The story goes they had a meeting because when you got small numbers, there's no point. It's not a very good idea to fight and kill each other, eh? eh? So when they first got to New Zealand, they made a law. That if we ever had a fight, it'll be with a twig. Yep. Just push that mic away a bit. It'll, so it'll be a twig. It would not be... Push it out. No, there would be no... No, 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 just a hole. Boom. There would be no weapons. Push you know what I mean, bro? Yeah. No. Nothing bigger than a twig. Because yep. we don't, we can't kill each other. We have to... There's not enough of us as it is. We need all our numbers. So by the time when the Maoris come along, they'd, be, they'd become these peaceful Polynesians. Okay? And they did have a discussion to decide, should we change that law? So we, you know, these Maoris are going to eat, all these freshies are going to eat us. Should we change the law? And they chose not to. Yep. Nah, we're not going to change our law. We're going to stick by what we believe in. And of course, as it, as it is in, in, the, in the natural world, the strong conquer the weak. Yeah. And so they, they bolted. They bolted over the Chatham Islands. Chatham Islands was, was the last place of them. This is a little island that you're talking about. Now they called them Moriori. They probably come from the same place, Tahiti, all those islands there. They probably come from there, so you can't. I don't know why we give them a whole different name. It was just easier for the New Zealand English to say, "Well, you Maori's done the same thing. You come along to the land of the Moriori's, but not really. Moriori's were Maori's too. Really, anyone who wants to give them a different name? The Polynesians they come on the boat. So that's the Moriori story." With it being a cannibal tribe, did you guys go after them? Were they easier to... Yeah, definitely. But, but the cannibalistic side of the Māori 
Maoris are the only Polynesians that did that. Polynesians, I but say. But did they eat it for food, or was it more just an honour thing when you beat them in, in battle? Mate, if you're eating it anyway, <laughs> if you're eating it anyway, I'm going to say, I don't know, bro, honestly. I can't honestly say. I, I would like to tell you that that was only... Like, there is this instance where... Um, to be consumed, okay? To be consumed. If me and you are equals and warriors, and you beat me in the warrior, you've broken me. I'm fucked. Yeah. And the, the worst thing you could do to me now is to come and cut a piece of me off, chew it, spit it out. Yeah, you're not even worth. You're not even worth eating. Yeah, yeah got it. It's like an ultimate insult to me because I need the best you get eaten. Now, if you're a slave, I'm gonna feed you to my dog. Yeah, you are gonna feed. That's a, that's an insult, but if I if I'm a chief, I'm gonna you know, you'd expect me to consume you, so I'd, I'd insult you by cutting a piece of your meat and spitting it out. Because I know that in American culture, they when 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 you go back in the fifties, where everything was less sort of polluted with correctness and all that kind of stuff, you had in cartoons, even Disney cartoons, you had. These cannibalistic cartoons, you know, like you remember they had the the hair up tied in the thing and the the bone <laughs> through the nose yeah. and the the, yeah. the sort of the the pygmy sort of thing. So yeah. it yeah. was there was there was cannibalism in some African tribes, some some especially some South American, but yep. and then uh, also Papua in some of the Polynesians, Papua New Guinea. We don't eat the head. We didn't eat the head. Yep. So we didn't eat the brain. Yep. So the brain we. Um, there's a lot, you get a lot of diseases. You eat brains of human brains, like um, True. mouth disease, yep. and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't, we didn't get that disease because the heads we shrunk, yeah, and kept as a trophy on my um, smoked heads of all my conquered, you know, all my trophies. Yeah, but not only this, because our, you, you can't look at it from a European perspective. Yeah, you, know? you look at, you look at, oh yeah, horrible. Yeah. If you beat me, then you ate me. Everyone that looked up to me and respected me, listen, you know, fella, Joy, he ate Kieran, bro. You know, he's a man. That's <laughs> <laughs> radical, I mean? isn't it? Everyone yeah. that looks up, they looked up to me. So you get all my prestige, too. You get all but my money. Uh, how's the respect? Like, it's crazy, because it's, like you're well, saying, like, if I ate you, and people, and your friends are going to go, wow, Joy's the guy, wow, Joy's that's awesome. Well, and then they show him respect. Well, where, what, what do they think of me? I'm the man. Yeah. Now, I I would have thought I was the man, but not obviously not. Tries to consume me, beat me, and now he's eating me. Yep. Tries the man. Yeah. Hey. With it, but it's not about revenge then. It's a, it's mana. Yeah. It's getting a sitting mana, but now after a while you've got these heads around your, you know, and they they got family these days. Heads, hey, they got mums and dads, you know. They understand the laws and and uh, and the rituals of war, but would like to have that head back, hey. And then I know you conceived my son, so I'm gonna call. I got kind of a love for you, you know. I wish my son was, but you've conceived him, so my son's in there somewhere. The DNA's in there. Hey, he's a part of you now. It's interesting. And, and, interesting and, way to look at after, it. Yeah. After after we your trophies, you know, eventually you know, those things you know, they get they get healed, eh, bro? And you'll give that head back to my parents, you know. And the heel, and then, then. So, what's the significance in the head? Because it's tattooed. It's tamagot. It's this. Um, ah. It's a shrunken head. It's, it's a master. Because it's, it's, what did they do? They removed. They smoked. Did they remove the? Yeah, but your, your skull's still the skull. They take the skull. You'd, no, it's, it's, you'd cut it away from the skull. 
Or... I wouldn't have a clue by what they've done to it. Yeah, I but thought they, they... They smoked it and they shrunk. They shrink anyway when they dry up, but when you smoke it even more, it's, it's a shrunken head. But when the Europeans, when the English come across one of our warriors with one of those heads, the first thing he done was he traded us. Yeah. But, you know, what will you get? Well, he, Maoris, he gave us a, a musket for a head. Yeah? Now, we got a musket. And how do I, how do I get a hundred muskets? Mm. I'm going to get these, I'm going to take this to him. I'm going to get a hundred slaves. I'm going to tattoo all these faces up. And what am I going to do next? hundred heads smoked. hundred guns. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is what happened. We've gone from a people of uh, culture, etiquette, and to a people of bloodlust. Greed. Bloodlust. Well, not greed. I need these guns because they got guns as well. Okay. How'd they get these guns? You know, Napoli was the first tribe that obtained guns. There's Marcus's, the minor Marcus's tribe from up north. Right? And could you imagine the haka and the war that they had? The one tribe coming out doing the haka, and the tribe over here with guns, oh, yeah, yeah, don't go nowhere. Bang! Yeah. Shoot them. So the, our whole pride and haka went out the window. It changed. They point doing the haka no more. And and it will it will sort of domino effect. Now, how do we beat Napoli? I best go find me a um a, a Englishman too. I can get guns off. You know what I mean? Then nine times out of ten, it's the same Englishman that gave them guns. Mm. He's a gun trader. Now he 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 he, he, he. waste each other. Yeah. Now, I'll pick up left. Now what's left? I'll take this then. Now you guys are not you're half the size you were before. It's you know crazy, I mean? but it's so right. That's what and yeah. and that's what happened. It was a domino effect. Of the guns. Do you think they did that on purpose? They went, we're going to give these guys guns, right? Oh, but I to, and then well, they're going to want guns and they're going to kill each other because they're they, warring tribes. They've done it before. Yeah. It wasn't, we got this, but Columbus was in South America in 1400, but it was like 300 years before. Mm-hmm. And what did they do? Measles? Smallpox? You can't tell me when those English come to New Zealand 300 years later, they didn't know that they were bringing the disease with them? Yeah. They didn't, they seen it before. 300 years earlier. Because the measles wiped out a lot of the measles Maori, wiped out yeah. the Aztecs and the Incas. It did it to us too. The cold, common cold killed us too. Killed a lot of the Pacific Islanders. Half our cold. And then we did it with ourselves, with our war. That they, manipulated us. Oh, give, these, you know, give them a little push and they'll, they'll do all the work for us. Hey. Mm. That's what happened, mate. Then we, and then once we've looked around, once all tribes got guns, that's when it stopped. That even happened to the, the samurai culture in Japan. Exact same thing. Yeah. Once all once all tribes got guns, we stopped that, that kind of war. They they stopped because yeah? we looked around. And the, the, here's the funny one: land, boy. We didn't understand the concept of owning land because in our eyes, that's Mother Nature. We come, we belong to her. It yeah. don't belong to us. We belong to her. Yeah. So when you're gonna come, you're gonna give me what? What do you, what do you want? We want your land. I know you can't take that back to England with you. You gotta have a look for Maori property. Yeah, they're going these idiots. These dumb guys. They, <laughs> they want the land. <laughs> Give it to yeah, them. Well, you can have as much land you want. <laughs> Give me the guns. I need yeah. guns. You know what I mean? I need guns. Why? Because these other Maori's coming down. They're gonna they're gonna waste us. I need your I need your firepower. Right? So they just happily, 
and then we don't understand because we give well, away the, Auckland. You'd, you'd pull this treaty out. So in their eyes, they're doing the right thing, and they go, "So you're signing your land over to us?" And you're like, "Whatever, yeah." But we, 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 we you, give you away. just gave us eight guns. Yeah, here, have it. Yeah, but the European, he was smart. He knew what he wanted. Yep. He wanted that. He wanted with a with a big ports where or where they could make big ports like the harbors. So he went Auckland Harbour. He went Wellington Harbour. He went for Crisis Harbour. And once he got those, once he got those cities or those lands, he brought in his big boats of all the immigrants because they could come into they they needed those ports. So when the Maoris finished fighting each other, we started fighting them from about with guns from early 18, 1880 or eighteen eighteen, and for, oh, no, it might have been even earlier than that, bro. Little skirmishes, but for a good thirty five years. We're fighting ourselves. We're fighting the Maoris, fighting Maori. And and did it? Did the tables turn? And you went, "What are we doing? We need to fight well, the white fella. They're, they're coming in, and they're what that did that did, ever happen? What it did do was at that time, European countries when they went to war, they lined up and aim fire, <laughs> aim fire. They all lined up in a row. Okay, that's how those that's how Napoleon fought his wars, and you know they lined up and they have tents shooting, yeah. have um, volleys or whatever. You know, Maoris didn't follow that. <laughs> we hide in the tree. Now we 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 become like Vietnam, mate. Vietnam guerrilla so, warfare. Guerrilla arm, yeah, like, ambush. We don't, type. we don't we're not in this aim, fire. <laughs> we got the bright red coats, say you know. They're not trying to hide. They you know, they're right there. Maori's we brought in camouflage, we're hiding in the trees. So we're fighting each other first. Right? We, and we also learned trenches. We dig a trench. Our, our, our traditional our traditional um, marae or pa before the guns come along was on was on the palisades like that and the chief was right at the top and you had to go through all these levels to get to him and, they, and it was hard but it was because of where my way was open cannon fire from a ship on the coast boom 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 could blow it up so our, our force had to change a little bit we made them flatter we dug trench around the outside of it and we put a fence where we could just see underneath it and then the trench it's the gap at the bottom okay and then on the outside we put all the the prickleberry bushes just act like our modern day barbed wire so I slowed them down um, our storming party be able to slow them down be able to load up the gun again and get another another volley before they even get to us okay now you got to remember they've never seen the trench British never seen the trench before they didn't fight like that they used superior power. They had the big cannons, and the Maori knew we couldn't meet. We couldn't match them in open field, but we'd fight them in a designated place that we, of our choosing, we could get them. So we'd we'd attack them, we'd manipulate them, and force them come chase us. You gotta go in there and get old bloody, or, you know, whoever that that chief he's, he's been attacking the settlers. We gotta put a stop to us. And they dragged their big guns through our bush over the hills for one mile a day. <laughs> well, 30 miles, bro. And they'd get there and they'd set up their cannons. And by the time they get there, we've got this place. We're prepared with trenches on the outside. And we've learnt by fighting ourselves, the bigger the gun, the deeper the hole. So we we know what the British are going to do. They're going to cannon. They're going to send volleys on cannibals. We'll have to survive that. And then once they've bombed us enough, they're going to send in the storming party, right? So we, we, we prepared for this. We, we, put, we made the first anti-artillery bunkers, right, deep in the ground, where we could keep our warriors there after the bombardment. 
They see the stormy party. Seagulls are essentially the first diggers before the Australian diggers. They should have listened, bro. Mm. If they had listened to us in 18, 18, fucking 1840, because in 60 years' time, they went to Gallipoli and they come across centuries again. And we suffered great losses in that war because of those British cunts. Yeah. You know? New Zealand and Australia lost a lot of. You know, if they had paid attention, they would have learned from the Māori you cannot take a trench. Not you know, that was we did that 80, 60 years before, bro. Another tactic they learned from the Maoris was okay, so we've got they've come here, they've had their guns 30 miles, they look at it, they're pretty confident. Oh, they're down in the valley there, we'll just set our gun up here and we'll bombard it after a week of bombardment. Because you know, I'm reading the, the diaries of the soldiers. Oh, the niggas have been bombarded for five for five days straight, there should be nothing left when we get on there. Okay. And they handpicked 50, 50 red cases after weeks of bombardment to storm this party. Now, inside inside this place, there was a sixth of the number of warriors compared to the British soldiers. Not only that, the British soldiers were professionals. These fellas had to go home and they weren't prevailed. But they wanted to test themselves against the so-called professional warriors. And... So we, we had to protect ourselves. Not only that, we made tunnels, bro, so that we could concentrate our small amount of men on certain parts. You know, we needed to get them to that side, or they go for the, They come to that way, go that way really fast, so we could concentrate numbers on certain areas if they were getting breached. So they had to load up again and shoot underneath the palisades. This is some new technology these fellas hadn't really seen before because they didn't fight like that. They stood up and, you know, they had bold colours. <laughs> It wasn't about how we fight today, you know, with uh, camouflage and feathers and leaves in our hat and all that kind of You know, that's rural warfare. They didn't do that stuff. We were the first ones to do that to them. And when they when they set their storming party, they stormed the place, by and they they, they they charged. And when they got within the, the, the prickly grass, they they says it was like the opening of a furnace underneath. With the Maori said, underneath the wall, they're safe in the trench. Volley of fire. I mean, we're good with guns now. We're marksmen, but we've been fighting guns for 35 years. The Maori fella, he not, doesn't need to be big no more. He go, go the way of the finger. Hey. We, we, we been, we, so we're very good at that. We, we wiped out the storming party. The next day, the Maoris weren't even there anymore. Okay? This place that they designed... Was, was empty. The British went on there, Lieutenant, and there was nothing there, no resources, nothing. There's a hole around at trenches. And they sort of they sort of claimed it as a we've won, we got the we got the fucking their fort. But no. We dragged you out of this place, we made you drag your guns out of this place. We set up boy got them, we had our things set up. We sent in your stomach party, we harvest, we harvest, we we, we delivered the blow, it's silky smooth. We're, we're there, vacated. What did you get? Nothing. There's nothing there. And this is how they have, this is how we dealt with them. And it became very clear that if the Māori couldn't get through you, you know, if it was a big, a big um, the enemy was a big party, the Māori would um, they'd slide out. And if, if they could take it out, they'd take it out. So they could never get them, but you know, they're always they were too smart. It was like like the Vietnamese. The Americans didn't know how much damage they were inflicting on the enemy because they couldn't fucking see the enemy. 
they 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 done a lot of damage, but they couldn't see the damage. They couldn't. You know, and dragging that fucking big gun for thirty kilometers through our bush and hills, it's hard work. And for them to do nothing, and not even that, the audacity. How did how did one six of the number of um you know warriors beat a professional army? They had conquered three quarters of the world. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't us savages and blah blah blah. But what they'd done, they had to sign a treaty with us. They knew they couldn't come through and make us fauna and flora. Like they did over here. Fauna and flora. They couldn't do that to us. Because they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't. They did a lot of a lot of a lot of bad stuff over here. And I read that book about what they did up the east up Jandamara. Remember that book, bro? The I, know, yeah, I, know, the... I know the story of Jandamara. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I read that book and I was thinking, you know, those kind of things, they, they, they couldn't do that to us. And, 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 and the facts proven because they come, they want to sign a treaty. England didn't sign a treaty with no one. So, you know, I look back at it and I think to myself, fuck, well, man, we fought ourselves, there's a stupid thing to do. Or blah, blah. I look at it as all bad, but then I think, well, if we didn't fight ourselves, we wouldn't have learned how to fight with the guns. We wouldn't have been able to enforce a treaty. Right. Right. Yes, it fucked our culture up. It fucked the true Māori culture and, and the pride and the mana that the taiha and, the, and those battles, they come with those battles because those was a lot of pride in it. And it changed us. But we had to be brought into the modern world. If Māori didn't get conquered, then eventually someone would have come along. Hey. America, no, oh, course, someone yeah. would have come along. So Germany might have came along. Samoa got conquered by Germany. Well, Germany were trying. <laughs> Japan actually would have Japan been. Japan may Would have been Japan. If... No, nah, they would have been too small. Would have been America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would have been America, bro. But anyway. I suppose back then Japan weren't worried about conquering. They were worried about defending their land back in those days. But... No, we had to bloody... So no, we might have had to be bored of... Brought into the modern world. But that's the beauty of being human, bro. You know, there's so many different... You know, it'd be boring if we were the same. I know people, I like, I like difference. And I'm coming from a culture that loves war. I mean, it's easy for me to fight. It's easy for me to be, nah, fuck everybody else. Let's go and fight. But no, that's the beauty of us human beings. The main thing is, is the diversity of it. It makes for a better, a better place for all our children. Because at the end of the day, we all got the same thing. We want our children to be safe and happy. Even my enemy wants the same thing. Well, what have I got an enemy? I don't have one. He may think, he may think I'm an enemy, but I, I beg to differ. I, but I also know that some tragedy things, as a part of how it has, has you know, a lot of people say, the white cunts shouldn't even come to my land, blah, 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 blah. Put your hands yet, right? It happened. If it wasn't going to happen, it wouldn't have. Yeah, <laughs> hey. yeah. It's kind of inevitable, especially with uh, it was transport that that, that allowed well, it to happen. So, well, don't, don't, what you don't do is you don't don't make us all the same. Right? Let us let us bring what makes us all different. To what makes the human family the human family? It could be like this. Could be like that. Could be like that. I want to put something to you. About 12,000 years ago, there was a major cataclysmic event on Earth, which they then coined the term the Younger Dryas period. And it was when the 
last dance race? Uh, yeah, it was the, the last. It was when the when there was a major. Very quickly, there was a big melt, yep. and then it really froze, and then there was a gradual melt again. So we had this. The lands, and when I say very quickly, we're talking over a period of yeah. a, th- a thousand yeah. years where it, it froze right up, but then it let down. And then we're, we're sort of in a position now, sort of somewhere in between. Yeah. But when, when the waters were frozen and we had that ice age, it, it it allowed a lot of land bridges, especially between certain parts of the world. Mainly around, you know, there was only, a, like the equator would have been probably the only part there wouldn't have been snow, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. That's the right. Rest South Pole would have come all the way down to just about, right? What happened is, well, if you think of North America, the the glacial shelves actually came down to the Midwest region of, of the United States. Yeah. And then if you're talking the bottom southern hemisphere, we were exposed a little bit more to sunlight, but you would have had snow and glacial shells just, just off the south coast of Australia. So... A lot of the countries, like the south part of New Zealand, and all that kind of stuff, would have been would have been very cold. Yep. So we had this younger drier period, youngest drier period. Now, what happened was the Earth suffered, whether it be solar flare, asteroid impact. They're not too sure, but we one thing we can guarantee was that there was a major a major upheaval in the Earth. There was a lot of uh, tidal waves. Yep. Um, there was a lot of scorching of the Earth. So they've got the glass. Um, I can't remember the name of the glass, but it's a that happens when there's very uh, hot when you're exposed to, and we're talking thousands and thousands of degrees Celsius. So that's why they're saying the fires and that from the the asteroid which happened. But what I'm getting at is that humans were really brought down to a very simple way of living again, and I believe that there was a civilization that. That was that was before that, um, in which we all stemmed from. And the reason I want to correlate this to something that you said, Mia, tell me the word for sun in Māori. In Māori, the word for sun is Ra. 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 R-A, Ra. Right. Yeah. The sun god in the Egyptian culture is... Ra. Ra. Yeah. Now, whether it's a complete coincidence versus... The the part of the Maori culture and part of the Maori language is part of an ancient culture, which stems back way much further than even Maori themselves give themselves credit for. Well, Maori, so, Maori, Maori, Maori culture think, sort of comes from like, Tahiti, the Polynesians before, before that. You know what I mean? Once we got to New Zealand, that's we become Maori, and our culture it's a little bit different to theirs, but it's, it's similar. Okay. But, but, yeah. Here's, here's the thing. Tahitian culture, mm. South American and Peruvian culture have a lot of similarities. Well, I wouldn't be surprised as the Peruvians have got Polynesian in them. Mm. Wouldn't be surprised. And if you trace back the DNA, I wouldn't be surprised if... Polynesian's got South American in them. Yeah, South American. Yeah. It, could, it could be, I'm not sure. I'm not saying they, I'm not saying yes. All I know is they were trading with each other anyway. We had a delicacy. But I still haven't connected the dot between South America and Egypt. Okay, okay. But you look at the... The links, the the pyramids. Well, you only look at the hieroglyphs and the paintings and all that kind of stuff. When you talk pyramids, this is, for me, the culture that existed prior to this massive event 
when when you live in a city and you have everything there for you and you've learnt culture, you've learnt cultivation and all these things, if something happened now and came in and switched off the grid, all the power, we had couldn't have access to power. Tell me just off the top of your head what do you think would happen um, in a city if all of a sudden oh, well, no it's... internet, no power. Um, we'd all starve and die. That's right. The food source becomes... Yep. We won't know where the source is from. Well, exactly. And it would spoil. It would go rotten. So food would get rare so we'd either very quick. leave the city or die. Mm. Right? We'd either abandon the city. And that's why you find these eastern cities abandoned. Okay. Right? So I'm just putting you through an exercise which is going to answer a couple of questions. Good. So if we had a city slicker who worked in an office all his life... We had a country boy on a farm that's used to shoot kangaroos and making up a stew. Yep. Um, out of those two, who's going to survive? Uh, the homesteader. That's right, the, the country guy. So now let's go back to an early civilization. Let's say the pyramids around Giza was this magical place called Atlantis. Yep. And this is sort of, it's there in our memories, but we've had this place that... Um, it was a city and it ran and it was amazing. Technology coming out of the place. The pyramids themselves were a source of power and they did have a type of power um, that was being used back in those times and they understood a lot more a little bit about uh, the earth, um, things like uh, uh, energy sources and sound, sound fields and magnetic fields and all that kind of stuff, superconductors and all that kind of thing was, was able to be used back then because we were more in tune with the Earth than what we are now. All of a sudden, cataclysmic event comes along. What's going to survive in a city? Or in, in the Giza, just say we lit a massive fire on Earth and the whole Earth was consumed Pyramids. in 50-foot flames. Pyramids are going to survive. Pyramids. If we're going to have a flood... And the whole of the earth is covered in 100 feet of water. Pyramids the survive. pyramids are going to survive. So what my theory is, and, and this is where I argue with scientists and they say, look, you know, like the pyramids are 4,000 years old or something like that. They've just found a place called Gebekli Tepe, and I talk all about this a lot on the podcast, but it dates back to 12,000 years, years ago, and I've just written a song about it with my band, and it's called uh, Cradle because it's the cradle of civilization. So a few tribes and up and around this place in Turkey and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of caves where people could have got away from solar flares, got away from great floods, got away from um, the dust and the, the choking environment that would have happened if we had a huge asteroid impact. Because remember, all that debris is going to go in the air, it's going to come down, plants are going to die, humans are going to get back to being the real raw human that what we were. Because who's going to survive? The hunter-gatherers. Yeah. Anybody that didn't have those skills aren't going to survive. So you're really stripping back to square one. Now, those hunter-gatherers are the ones that are surviving because they know how to live off the land. So they've got to start again about, you know, the, and then we talk about the big bang and the fire and all that kind of stuff as being creation. Well, why could creation have started in, in our sense as human beings only 12,000 years ago? It's only now that scientists are saying, oh, hang on, no, we're billions of years old and, you know, we're, we're finding all that out. Yeah, I understand it. There's twelve thousand, but what about the Aboriginal? So then they they go sixty thousand years, forty thousand. That's right. And how's that? How's that work? They're, they're humans, aren't they? Well, the thing is, okay. So you ask the question: In Australia, were they affected by these cataclysmic events? 
I don't think so. Like. I don't think so so yeah. much. And it's, I'm glad you brought up Australian Aboriginals because me, I think they are a version. And this is where I want to. I'm going to bring up white versus black here, as far as we're a completely different species. We, you look at the Australian Aboriginal. They're 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 a good indication of the old people of the earth. They've been around. They survived that twelve thousand year period. Yeah, but the, but then what are they called Europeans then? Well, this is the, here's, here's the thing. We shared it. Well, they're still white, but at what point? What made them so different? The environment. The environment that they were. They, if they remember, we all come from apparently Homo sapiens come from Africa. Right? Now, in that period, where ice ages, there's no Mediterranean. Yeah. You walk straight across there. They're, they're rugged up. They're covered up from the sun. The sun ain't getting the melanins. That they no, need. Well, you go. They, they, they would have walked across the Mediterranean. When everything flooded up again, or maybe even Noah's flood, I don't know. It filled up. But all of a sudden, they cut off from sunny Africa. Yep. For not just a little time. They cut off for a long time. Now, remember I told you that um, now you get one, one group of people and you, you, they, they look the same and you, and you send half of that island to a place where you know, the, food, the resources are down low and the, the best place for the best individuals of that group are the short ones to get the food and you take the other half and you put them on an island where the resources are up high so the tall people in their group become the, the prime, the better you know, providers. And it gets back to what you were saying years, about... But 100 years later... But who's attractive to the females? Well, the the short guy that can go down and, and collect a lot of the stuff and you know what I mean? And then He's going to be the... Yeah, and then if you go to other cultures, the tall guy that can reach the food. So, so once upon a time, they're the same people. Because it's all years, about if you can provide. Over 100 no. years, what's going to happen? This stuff's going to be small and short because the tall guys ain't going to get laid... They really to procreate, and this one's going to be tall. With once upon a time, they're the same. You understand? When they went north, away from the sun, what we need sunlight. We need vitamin D. Hey, eh? what? You know, what's what's the best way to have a lighter coloured skin? Your hair to keep the let the heat out, hair out, the heat out. The curly hair does that. Another make let the heat evaporate off your head faster. Um. So, um, straighter here keeps it in. So eventually, over time, the, the person or the individual that's more suited to their environment, or uh, they start picking up fuck what they call them. Um, what the traits or traits? You know, from that that's that's a good trait to have. Yeah. Oh, that's a good trait. And then those those individuals be, they sort of become. And the Maori culture was warfaring. It was war wars our one. They looked at their warriors. He's that's the best one. We need them. So we so we ask, why are you Maori's all big? So, what do they call it? Natural selection, brother. Yeah, yeah. But the little ones didn't make it because they weren't able to, obviously, fucking got eaten, got beaten. Cause they, I mean, it's been, a bit like being locked in a prison, isn't it, really? Like, a, the big strong survive because it boils down to physicality at the end of the day. And until no. when the gun come along, well, then... It, I'm sure there's no Maoris running around going, touch me and I'll see ya. No, but when, <laughs> when the gun come along, we didn't need to... Be, we can have some. That's why you find a little small Maori now. He's, because we've intermingled now. We're no longer just full married blood, bro. Yeah. Even me, I got white blood in me. Yeah. Okay? Our Samoans and Islanders, they got more pure Islander blood in them. Okay, that's why when you find a whole bits of Samoans together, you'll you find a family of ten, nine are huge, one small. Okay? Maori's are different. 
we'll probably half half we might have I'm looking Mo and um Mama um, Mania. The brothers, aren't they? No Mania? Yeah. Mo's little brother, his yeah. younger brother. Darker, bigger. Yeah. You know, Mo's fair. Small. They're brothers. How's that happen? But do you look at his face and his face is more Maori. Yeah, but, 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 but how's that but they're both the brothers, they're the same but all I'm saying is that it's a throwback. Manly is a throwback to old warriors, and we, we might get not as many Samoans, but we'll still get a bluff. Right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas Ireland's got more pure Ireland blood, they'll get more bluffs. We'll be cats, right? We've got more European blood. That's why the Maori's a little bit smaller. You know, the Islanders, there's a gap here, there's a fellow there, they'll run into the fella. Maori's with the gap. We've been dead of, we've, we've, our white fellas, our white brothers have given us that clue not to run into that brick wall anymore because we've got a bit more brains. Yeah, true. And we have, if you have a look, we have yeah. got a little bit more brains, the mighty voice. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all my Polynesian brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's all I notice when you see the Maoris, they'll run straight in. There's a gap there, the islanders will run straight into the bloke. Maori said, we used to do that in the old days, now we hit the gap. But anyway, that's just. So, you know, today's Maori's, we're, we're a pretty good example of New Zealand's history. You know, we've got a couple of small ones, not too many, but they're there. Johnny Nuka. A couple, of, couple of jockeys. <laughs> you know, he, he, he looks like he could be from Kenya. <laughs> yes, 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 bro. You know, like he. Well, you have to remember these Maoris didn't all come from the same island. No. Nah. Uh, some come from Tonga. Some we don't know where we come. There's a lot of islands there, bro. Uh, so once we get to New Zealand, we all uh, we we'll become uh, we were all our tribes. We weren't even Maori then. Wasn't until the Europeans come there. Oh shit! And after we wasted ourselves, <laughs> we realised. Oh, we looked around. Fucking Auckland's gone. Wellington's gone. The next minute, we've wiped out half our people. Half of them, the other half have died from flu. And there's 700,000 Europeans here. Mm. Yeah? And still, still they had to sign a treaty. Because at the time, the, the England, the, the Crown, the Queen, she even gave instructions. When you go to these places, don't go and, don't you go there and just, you know, Rape and pillage, da. Rape and pillage them. Get them to become citizens, do it all nicely. So they had to, they had to follow, show a little bit of etiquette. Yeah, there was a bit of protocol in there. A little bit of protocol. Yeah. What happened is that Queen's way the fuck over there, and then her New Zealand, um, that are working there, working, working for on her behalf, they're, they're not really, you know, they can do pretty much what they want, really. Right? She's not going to keep her eye on them. She can't even she can't even read what the Maori version of the treaty says. She doesn't know what this is. We know what it says because our translator, no missionaries, they were the first ones to come into our society and try to convert us to Christianity, you know, and which was pretty easy. What? You're a missionary. I'm the chief. My son's got a cold. My witch doctor can't fix him up. He looks like he's going to die. I give him. I say, can you help my son? You give me your magic medicine, next minute my son's alive. I'm the chief. Well, my son lives. What am I going to think straight away about your God? What am I going to think about your God compared to my God now? That's exactly what, happen, gonna, what so, happened with the Tsar of Russia and Rasputin. So I'm going to go, okay, I'm the chief there. We all go Christians now. 
Christianity is our religion. The whole tribe just switch. Follow me, right? Because we, we, we're spiritual people anyway, so... Actually, Christianity is very big in the Polynesian islands, especially Tonga, Samoa, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of Māori folk are very... Well, those islands are small. It's a bit hard for those churches to be as corrupt as they are on big on the, on, on the mainland, you know what I mean? Like on Australia and, mm. and America, they can pretty big... It's a bigger area. When you've got a little population, you, they're holding you accountable, right? You gotta you know toe the line, but when you got a population that's huge, you, know, you can you can you can change things up to yourself. This is no one holding you accountable, right? So we no, we don't know. We thought that after four years of living with this missionary, learning his language, becoming Christian, and then him translating out the Bible into our making us a written language, okay. Now, even though Māori's written, Māori's now written, those letters, W, H, English letters, I still don't know, even though it's written, it's meant to be, I don't know what the fuck it says. Like a, a, a tara, like it's... I I'll tell you, I, I don't know what they look, I don't know what it says. Yeah. I can't read those English letters, Māori's don't write. So the, the Maitis don't know. So there was never any writing, was there? there was, no, no, no. All I'm going is what my trusted friend. But it's always been Aotearoa. Like, Aotearoa. Yeah. That was what it was called when... Kupe uh, was the first, the first known as the first one to land out of the Maoris. Yep. His wife was the one they called her Aotearoa. Aotearoa was, there, was there ever a, a Maori chief that was considered the the like the father of New Zealand, like a, um, a, yeah. a, a like yes. the, the most there famous chief of all time? Every tribe's every tribe's first chief. First chief would have been there. The ones that, that that first come there, they would have been acknowledged to those people. Was there ever a, a chief that was just so revered, or like like uh, for example, I suppose a better way to ask it was uh, so in the Japanese Japanese culture, yeah, and the samurai warring culture, there was a uh, there was a um, Matsumoto's uh, Masashi. Give me a cup. Huh? Give me a cup. Yoshimoto, yeah, Yoshimoto Masa, uh, Masashi? Yep. Mas, 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 something. Warriors, yeah. But there was Masashi. But anyway, he was a he was regarded as the best sword fighter. Yeah. He was he was he was the one that you talk to any samurai they go, Well he was the one that you know, no. was there ever a, a Modi equivalent to that no, version of tribal. So as far as we can see, our top dog tribe. Now the one who's in the charge of my tribe, he's you know, as far as we can see, as far as other tribes can see, he's the man. As far as they, their one's the man. Now we all, they, they're not going to just have one because we can't do that. You know? We're different. You know, we don't look at it like that. We, we, that's why we, we signed, um, what we had to do was we become a confederation. The Māoris, it's it a beautiful thing. Irish and Scottish, those two peoples, those two races, a lot of them were the convicts. A lot of them were the, the, the soldiers or the immigrants. They, they weren't the, the, the posh fucking, you know, like Captain Cook's lot. The proper English. They were, you know, they mainly just the bloody, the men or the workers, I suppose. But they, 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 they told our chiefs, like, New Zealand was a haven. If you're running away from the Red Coats in England, you're, New Zealand was a haven for you. They don't have no jurisdiction here. They can't come and do nothing over here. 
You come to New Zealand, man, you got the answer to them. You don't care. Everywhere else they could. Australia wouldn't have been the haven if they were there. But they couldn't come to New Zealand because that belonged to the Māori. So it was a bit of a... You know? So they found sort of... Well, it attracted a lot of them. Yeah. So, so, that... so you can imagine the... Man, I'm not running it down, but you can imagine that these, these Europeans with different ideas than the rest of us come into, into my country with no law to keep them in line. You know? That's how we made selling us heads, giving us heads, offering us those kind of, making us do that kind of shit to each other, to ourselves. You know? mm. Catching tribes, cutting off their heads, tattooing it, cutting off the heads of my slaves. Now, something that was a, you know, something that was a part of our tradition once upon a time, now we're using it to get us more guns. Right? And we become, become you know, we, we ended up being those, what they, what they say that we are. That's what happened because there was a lot of honour in it before before the gun came. There was so much honour; it was not funny. You know what I mean? Those wars before the guns come at the end of the, when it come dark, it finished, and our and our elders would come back together again, and say there was enough blood being spilt, and then they'd go for a little while, and they reckon this is not going. We're just killing ourselves. What we're going to do? Okay, we'll get the chief's son from that tribe to marry the chief's daughter from that tribe, and they get married. No point fighting yourself, eh? Mm. All stops, but this. I mean that that's been going on in cultures, countless cultures yes, for but, centuries but, but and centuries. The fact was that we, our elders, our our, our senior elders of the tribe, had these meetings both before and after decided. You know, they decided whether you know things were right that we go to war. I mean, they didn't get disregarded. A lot of the Indians, bro, the young warriors, disregarded the older chiefs. And sometimes the older chiefs might be too old, you know, in their ways. doesn't matter. You'll get your turn when you're the older chief. Until then, you just do as you're told. You know what I mean? Uh, unless you don't want to be followed when you're the chief. In a lot of the gang culture that's in... In New Zealand. In New Zealand. So let's... So that that gang culture there's, is... Um, there's, there's two major ones. Obviously, you've got black power. Let me, let me describe those gang. Those gang cultures is those Maoris that got the musket. Yep. That's what they are. They've, they've evolved. The Māori, they got the musket. That's a yeah, good way to put it. Yeah, well, the, the what I was going to ask is that the gang culture in, in New Zealand, I mean, people are familiar with the mongrel mob, you've got Black Power, and yeah. there's, there's a couple of other smaller factions around. Yeah. Do they uh, abide to the old New Zealand rules? They they do. The, the cultural... Way, they do. All, all depends on more so they, than your average, you know? Yes, well, I've got, I've got an uncle, one in the Black Power, one in the mongrel mob. One of the Black Power, he's a president of the Black Powers. Right? One of the Mong mob, he's older than his Black Power brother. He's the older brother. He's not a president of the Mong mob, but he's the older brother. And these, they're, they're, they're enemies, but they're brothers. So how do you think they worked out for us, kids growing up watching? Hey, God, so this is your brothers? It's my uncles. One uncle was Black Power. Yep. Another uncle was Mong mob. Oh, your uncle, sorry. Yeah. Yep. But the, the Black Power one, he's the president of his chapter. Yep. The Mongol mob one, he's not a president of his chapter, but he's older. He's older than the Black Power brother. So in family protocol, he, you know, he's always, ever since the day dot, he's been the older brother, just like you are the older brother to Clay. That ain't going to change whether you're going to be from Newcastle and he's going to be for Mariners. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. You're still going to be the older brother. So, and, and that comes into it. The, the Black Power president, he, he, has to, he shows respect to his older brother. You know what I mean? Even though his other Black Power members were going, hold on, 
Fucking these mongrel mob, you shouldn't be doing that, you know. Not with us. With us, that's Paramount Mary Family Halls is Paramount over gang. Some may, some some may be um more city orientated, so they don't have that, you know, that um, family bonding that that like I have. Um, but you'll you'll come across some that don't. Some Marys are a bit bit loners, you know, not really into who's like that out of our crew. Mm, it's hard to find, yeah. <laughs> but there's there are some, bro. The, the, the Mongols, bro, they that we, we, we had ma- when we had family gatherings, the gangs didn't come into it. What it did do to us, us young kids. Would, the, would they still wear their colours or patches or representations? Would they? Oh, they might wear a scarf, maybe. They don't need to wear the brown thing. We already know who they are. But Mongol used to tell us if I'd done something wrong to some of his friends. Like we go out, we like, young kids, we go and burgle someone saying that was his mates or whatever, and he wanted he'd be come get it back off us because he's got so many nephews and nieces, bro. Hey, eh? you can't control them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are gonna be naughty, bro. But, but when we get caught, all depends who's going which one's gonna come talk to us. If it might be the, the black power one, he'd come say to us, "What? Um, did you go to Things House?" And we'll go on. Nah, it wasn't us. You know, we will deny it. And he knows we're lying. And he'll go, okay, well, do you want me to talk to you as your uncle? Or do you want me to go put on my other jacket? <laughs> and come and talk to you as a black power person? Because that's going to be a different conversation altogether. Hmm. You know what I mean? And we all go, oh, you know, we all fucking, we don't want that for you know? But to actually threaten us with that one, bro? I was going to go, fuck off, you know? You know? Fitting us with that one, no, that's not that's shocking. <laughs> You're gonna deal with us like your pets members, hey, but we need not to fuck with it. Right? So, if they were ever feuding, which which did happen a bit, the brothers put all that aside yeah. for family first, and then well, went the, back to it. Once the Black Power one, bro, he's the youngest, he can't, you know, even though he's the president of his chapter. But couldn't the older brother say, I don't want you to be Black Power? You're going to come with us and you're, you're, you're mongrel yeah, tell Clay, you know, I don't want you to be a cop, Clay. What's Clay going to say to you? Yeah. yeah. You're fucked. <laughs> you're fucked, bro. Yeah. Hey, you, you, you do what you want to do. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Hey, fucking the blah, we blah, didn't blah. have that, though. We didn't have that. Because like, there's a lot of times him being the younger guy. I've made it as an example. You know? I no, no, no. But yeah, he wouldn't, he he's would not going to listen to you, is he? No. Yeah. And the little brother, well, he's not going to listen to you, you know. Because we're, we're our family's from is Black Power territory. Yeah, right. My uncle, that's the Mongol mob, he moved down somewhere else and he chipped it up down there. So, where we're from is Black Power territory. Yep. So, Taranaki, this is full circle when we opened up. We talk about Taranaki, you're saying the mountain and the, the type of area it is. It's yep. not It's not a major city, is it? It's more rural. It's a province. But yeah. Well, there's a city there called New Plymouth. But it's got no harbour. Okay? It's got no harbour, so it didn't really take off till later on. Yep. But Auckland and Wellington and Christchurch. And the massive, yeah. Well, they had they had big harbours. They could bring their big ships in, mate. All the all the immigrants. So in New Plymouth, what's the industry that keeps? Would it be sheep? Um, New Plymouth. What's um, the industry that that helps that town survive and and that put it on the map? What was it in New Plymouth? It's funny, bro, because they didn't want New Plymouth. They wanted Waitara. Okay? 
the New Zealand company wanted Waitara. So this is where the first war between the Māoris and the New Zealand government, not the English, between New Zealand and the military now, because now New Zealand's got a government, right? So they, and England's actually going, you know what? You fellas deal with your own problem. We can beat England now, so they took all these ships back. Mm-hmm. So now Zealand, New Zealand's got these Māoris that they need to work with. And for a lot of it, the most part, they said, no, hey, again, <laughs> hey, again, bro, we New Zealanders, they befriended us. There's no point fighting. Them. But in some places, you know, like uh, in Taranaki, Taranaki, we had the flat land. They, they, they seen it, they wanted it. Um, For farming? But it's all covered in native bush. What? And the earth, it's, it's a lot of, it's volcanic, volcanic ash, isn't it? Volcanic beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful soil, perfect. Well, um, other tribes, not, not so good, you know? And, um, you know, so, and it wasn't, you know, it was, well, once they got their treaty in, bro, and they, and they, the fellas, you know, you know how they, you know how the black tracker, they go hunt down the other Aborigines? <laughs> or the Uncle Tom's, you know, he's inside while other slaves are out in the field. He's getting looked after, eh? Well, like they had some Maori's getting looked after too, bro, you know, selling the rest of us out. You know, I don't blame them, you know. I come in, I say, you know, how do, how do I stop? How do I stop? I've got to try to control my Maori's. We've got no running water, we've got no electricity. How do I stop my warriors from defecting to Auckland to the rights and to Wellington? You know, especially when I'm the chief here, you got to listen to me. What happens when you go over there and live in this society? Am I your chief anymore? Nah, you can do whatever the hell you want, they. You don't have to listen to me anymore. And that's what they're saying to us. Ah, you don't have to listen to your chief. Come live with us. Come, and, come work in the factory and get some money. You still walk around in his bare feet. Hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, ah. Huh. Big, big so they call that, that chieftain system, it's a feudal system. Yeah. Because it was the same in Japan. Yeah, it's a feudal system. Yeah, you had your... You he's, had he's the, where he, the local he, he chief. He the law, he makes the decisions, yep. and everyone has to follow them. That's right, and the law if stops with him. The, yep. If you, lived, if you moved to Auckland and Christchurch, you can, you can be British subject. Which you was, and what time frame are we talking about? Early 1900s? Mm, or, yes. or, or before that? Well, or, or early 1800s? Yeah, well... well after the treaty was signed anyway. Which was? 1845. 1840. 1840. 1840, 1840 the treaty was signed. Once that treaty was signed, it was, um, see, once they got their foot in the door with the treaty, um, they got in there. By 1900, which is like 55 years later, New Zealand was a dominion of England. 1900. Dominion, dominion Day, it's called. And our flag got changed. So we had our own flag. Māori said New Zealand had their own flag. What'd it look like? Um, this is funny, bro. Well, I learnt this five years ago. Never, ever heard about it ever before in New Zealand. I've never heard of it either, yeah. Ne- never heard about Māori independence ever before. Okay? Now, remember how I told you the Queen had to ask us for permission? That's what the treaty was, was for. She had to ask us permission that she can come down. We gave her permission to... Uh, this is what we thought we were doing, giving you permission to control some of these 750,000 people you got living in Auckland and in Christchurch. What? Who's, you know, he's, he's having a bit of, he's having a bad, bad influence on the natives, hey. 
alcohol, tobacco, you know. You're creating those, it will take the Monster Warrior movie, baby. You're starting to there, mate, you know, alcohol, tobacco, oh, just naughty shit, mate. Yeah, yeah. Probably like the, how the Aborigines are now here. You know, not not doing it quite enough to assimilate them properly into European culture so they could be like proper European people at least know how to be like proper European people. These ones don't even know how to do that yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Aborigines they haven't put enough effort into showing, no, you don't live with You put your rubbish in the rubbish bin. You see, you know, you, you know, they, they haven't taught them those things. They said, here, I've done my bit. Yeah, yeah, here, yeah. yeah. Hey, what's your money for? You Actually, it's a, that's money. a really good comparison because... Yes, bro. Yeah, that's you, you're dead right. I never thought of it like that. And if, where Australia's gone, just continue what you're doing. Here's some land. That's it's but you're working. you're there. They're not getting better. We're annexing you here, and I've been here for twenty years, and I ain't seen improvement. They're still the same. Yeah, <laughs> and they're still doing. They, and the, who are they learning? Who who's are these little Aboriginal role models? Uncle, uncle, there's their role models. Who do you think my role model was? Yeah. Right. When I walked around my neighbourhood, bro, what? I got one uncle that's Black Power. I've got one uncle that's Mongomo. Now, I'm walking around a maybe a, a, a ghetto neighbourhood in, in the city that's got a lot of black power Mongomo, you know, influences. So when I walk around there, who's, you know, I run past the Mongomobs and they see me and they go, oh, see, Western. Western, what are they? I'm not a black Mongomo, but they know my uncle. So I'm running around the town, I'm getting props from these gangsters. What's that doing to me as a kid? What do you think my head's going? When I grow up, yeah, I'm gonna hey, be. Fuck yeah, my uncle Staunch. I had Sammy Stewart, bro. Sammy Stewart came to Newcastle and became their first captain. Yep. Me and Sammy Stewart played for the same cup, same, same club in Wellington. Sammy Stewart gave me Sportsman of the Year, Junior Sportsman of the Year for Ramwick. He was a Māori boy, Māori cop. Played my game. I loved him. Played for my club. I loved him. Never saw him in my house. Never saw him around my neighbourhood. Knowing Sammy Stewart didn't do fuck all for me running around that neighbourhood. Knowing my uncle. Mm, they mm. gave me some respect. No one fucked with me. No one fucked with me at school either. No one fucked with any of us you know, because of him. So, where's Sammy Stewart? I love Lee. I love Sammy. So, you know pe- I mean? but people like your uncle, are they, so they're revered on a, on a real local scale? Well, yes. Yeah, they are. Because that's the only gang there. When I say Mong Mob and where I was, we're. There would be no black power there because there'd be big fight, big battles. Yeah. They're in another suburb all together. Yep. But when I walk around these suburbs, because they know who my uncle was, oh, he's there. Don't, t- don't fuck with him. Hey? So, I'm, so I get, I'm, I'm getting treated like somebody. And especially with him being the president. Like, Well, with him being, being the, you know, either they look after their own, even though I'm not a Pets member, I'm still, as far as they're concerned. And my other uncle, there's a black, that's the same on that side. Yeah, like, right. So it doesn't matter what gang, um, these two fellas here are my fucking role models, bro. I look after them thinking, they're, they're fucking sunshine. That's why I'm the way I am. I'm like them in the way. You know, have you seen my way? I'm, I'm similar. I'm not a gangster. Oh. I don't choose to be because I hold my culture in that place instead. Okay? No, nah, but the way, you, yeah, I, I do see it. And to be honest, when I first met you and and all that kind of stuff, when we go back to 98, I, I kind of think... Back to the way it was, and we're talking about <laughs> people like, think we're the naughty boys, mate, eh? Well, I used to think, is it is 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 this Mighty a ga- mafia? Like is you it said. the man? Well, we thought we had a game. We used to joke around about and call you guys that. You you called yourself that. But I didn't call myself the boys. <laughs> they called me Priz. I don't want to be called Priz. 
I don't know if other bros get any favorite of this. Bro, why they call you Pris? I said, oh, pfft. <laughs> it'll be the Moldy Mafia. Because it was like the Pris. I go, no, 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 let's go. And they come see me, Kieran, who's with you? Boys, who's with us? Oh, that girl's with us, that girl's with us. Okay, we'll be. And then when it's time to go, I was like, well, fellas, let's go. It was sort of weird because I just fell into place. I, I, I guess it was through. But you kind of didn't have. You had to earn those boys' respect. You had to earn well, da- Darren's it was, respect. It was easy for me to do that. The Marcus Beatties yourself. I what I didn't want to do, bro, because I've seen how much of influence my uncles had on me. I didn't want to be influenced on Tori and Dichi, Lee Tamari, Hawani. Because like, I knew that those boys would be looking up at us too. And I, in the rugby league, for me as a Maori, academics, I, I, I didn't go very far there. On the playground, I'm the man. So I knew what was going to be my my get out of fucking this neighborhood card. My get out of the hood card. What was going to play? It's going to be rugby league. So I've had that dream since I was a little boy. I'm going to wait until New Zealand gets a team. I'm going to play my Warriors. And it was that that, that passion that kept me from joining those gangs, bro. But but what I was getting at earlier is that as much as you say that didn't exist, it did because you had closed doors on that on that mob. You, you, nah. Not not anyone just walked on in. They could for a party. I closed doors because I took Ginger up to their first ever grand final, where they that won that won a lot of hearts from them, mate. Because they never been in one before ever. They never beat North Beach ever before. So I coached them, you know? and I used to say, you know, you play with the you're the biggest biggest team. Well, you're all huge. You're trying to play the game like North Beach. You, know, you ain't got the players for that. You've got to play to your strengths. Use what's our, our best attribute, which is, well, obviously our size. And well, we love collision. That's our game. We have to play that. And then they bring that into our game, which was something North Beach do not like. They do not, do not like collision. They hate it. They'd rather, they'd rather us go wide. They try running around the back. They don't know because their forward pack don't really want us coming up the middle. Not five tackles in a row. One, two, three, which I learned. Guess where I learned that from? Sammy Stewart's Newcastle. Sammy Stewart sent, sent game plan back to our club. What game plan from Newcastle? Him and him and Tony Kemp. They both from my club. You know, they, he became Newcastle's first captain. But then he sent back because back in those days it was Sergeant Harrigan. He, he, that's how he played it. He didn't have no bloody Johnsons and back then. Well, he had Sammy, Sammy first, but here's another another player that also had a lot to do with the way Newcastle played. So you had your Sammy Stewart in that at the front, leading away from the front, and he really laid a platform. He was the first <coughs> international for, for Newcastle, first mm. captain. He was there signing, and they built that club around Sam Stewart. Good signing, bro. I watched Sam Stewart grow up so, in my yep. life. Just staunch, model, staunch front row and did the job. Half years. But you forget about Johnny Schuster. Oh, no, Johnny, Johnny was there too, yeah. He was so you black, had black. Kempi and Johnny Schuster. Yep. You know, they they were the three New Zealand... And, and they laid the platform. You also had Mark Sargent come into the fold there as well. They did lay the platform. But we also knew, we also... Because Newcastle was a new club, they had to, they had to compete... And to compete, they had to be consistently competitive. And the only way to do that was to complete the sets. I know I sound biased, but Newcastle for a long time was the heart and soul of rugby league in New South Wales. And still to this day, 
I think you got two strong places you got, and they're both synonymous with the steel towns. You've got that Illawarra, Illawarra. Illawarra region, yep. and you've got that Hunter Valley region. You're right. You're right. And they're the Me two. on a personal level, I always thought if the Vermeers are going good, Wembley's going good. Because Vermeers always, always been going good in Australia. Right? Even though they haven't got those records, it's always been those bunnies. Because that's a foundation club, eh? But I do agree with you. Right? Out there, Steelers, yeah. Newcastle, Newcastle's never going to go. Newcastle's never, ever going to be like Gold Coast. Well, you've only got to look at Newcastle now that... Let's go back two years ago to Newcastle, or three years ago, uh, three wooden spoons in a row, or something like that, which okay. is, for me, devastational. But, but still pulling crowds of thirty odd thousand, fifteen, sixteen. For sure. Because Newcastle is a rugby league still, in Newcastle is, is it's is, it's an institution. It's well because because rugby league is a working class game. Yeah, that's right. It's a working class game. So most of the towns where there's f- factory workers, freezing workers, wharfies, miners, um, steel workers. And Newcastle had all that. Yeah, so that's that was, what I mean. So yeah. in New Zealand, the same with um, Waitara had freezing works. Huntley had um, freezing works and um, mines up there, which is where Nikita come from. Um, and and Mo- predominantly Māori. Remember I told you about the how the Māoris, you know, We've, when we got introduced to rugby, we thought that was awesome. We thought, fucking man. So how come it become the national game? Like, because it's around longer? Is that why rugby become the national game as opposed to... No, well, you probably, you I can't get look, over how you're you so good you at rugby. Which was, yet which, rugby which, league. Which was New Zealand? Who had the first international team? Of rugby league or rugby? Yeah, rugby league. England. No, but, no, but England travelled first. England to Australia. Or am I wrong? No, there was a Ma- no, there was a Maori side, wasn't no. there? Australia didn't even have a team at that time. Got it. First time was the All Goals. Right. New Zealand travelled to England and played the New Zealand rugby league. We played New South Wales two games on the way over, and then we say, "You want to come over with was us?" Was the side made up predominantly of Maori? <clears throat> Probably would have been because you know, it's just rugby league. It's just how it is. Yeah. Even today, you have a look at the Kiwi team. We might be what they got foreign. We've got a Manning, we've got a couple of Samoan boys, but the rest are Māori. We've got the All Blacks, a lot of Samoans, a lot of Samoans, white boys, a couple of Māoris. Okay, you know what I mean? We've more gone to the league. Yep. Especially if we're in working class. The only Māoris that, that, that are response rugby union, they're on the east coast of New Zealand. They didn't have league. They only have rugby. So they didn't, they didn't, they didn't really get to... They play their rugby like they play league. Mm. You know what I mean? The West Coast, might have, we 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 we're in those towns that that where league was, so we had a choice, and we we found we enjoyed running them with the ball, but more than kicking, chasing the kick. Hey, well, they, 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 I still say we, that gets back to the Maori culture of we can kick a ball all day, yeah. but where's well, the contact? Where's the, where's that physicality? Well, we have we have our own. Where's that proven me against we have, you? We you know? have our, we have our own ball games as, as tribal people. We had a game similar called um it's called a uh, kiolahi. Kiolahi is like it's like a um uh, a game of um handball, but sort of bigger and rougher and tackling in the, <laughs> tackling in it that we played. So when they brought a rugby over, 
we can do this. And it's sort of like... So that's interesting because the Australian Aboriginal culture had mangrook. Mangrook, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, South Lingas, Indians, um, Lingas, they had... Like, Soccer game, they kicked that's the thing. Game. There was a version of like like a handball, but they love soccer. Those um, those with human heads, yeah, exactly. So they, <laughs> and they're good at soccer. So it was just so when the, when they brought rugby over, it was like look, look at this, brilliant, eh? Now you you're you're you're, you're from yuppie stock in England. You've come to New Zealand. You've introduced them to cricket, and then you've introduced them to rugby, and we've got these natural big fuckers that they you've been playing right all, all straight away. All blacks are dominating. Because not only has New, New Zealand, they've gone and got out, we've, we've gone and immigrated, or let the immigrants from um, what countries, countries like uh, Nordic, the Nordic countries, um, Switzerland. Uh, well, a lot of the Dutch, ain't, ain't, there's a lot, lot of, of Dutch lot of in Amsterdam. A lot of those people, those blonde, hardworking, fucking, um, they were. They're, they're strong people, those um, Nordic people, like four, you know what I mean? Blonde hair, blue eyes, a generation from now, they'll look like good old English. You know what I mean? That's what, they, that's what New Zealand immigration, Australia, went, they went Greek and Italian. <laughs> they go, we went, that's what we got the Fitzpatricks, the Zeus's, we got all those kind of families. And they, they made those combined with uh, the, probably the first fives and the halfbacks were English. And then the Maoris and the back ones just gave New Zealand an automatic, you know, boost for a national team. But our first, our first league international team was was New Zealand, and we went over there. We stopped in Sydney, played New South Wales. Seen how awesome this bloke Daily Messenger was. Asked him if he wanted to come, and he said, "Yeah, I'll come over." And they went over. Then they played England. Daily Messenger, Daily Messenger, no goals. So New Zealand had the first team. Huh? We come back to come back to Sydney, dropped Daily Messenger off, and a couple other Kiwi boys stayed there, and they started up there 1908. Down Main, was it? Uh, no, Eastern Suburbs. South, East. Were established in... Oh, well, oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. you had East. Glee. Was it Glee? Glebe. Glebe, yeah, they had those kind of things. Glebe, four teams. East, Balmain. Yeah, South. Souths, and there's one more. Glebe, East, Balmain, Souths, and um, North City. No. I think it might have been, actually. Well, I mean, the year after North City, because North City had been in there for a long time. They never won the grand final, have they? Yeah. I remember when for almost seven, eight years and they grabbed by the fucking that is a long time. <laughs> that was my club though, I like North Sydney. Yeah, I didn't mind the Bears. Well, I, was... well, bro, I had no choice, I didn't have the Warriors. Well before Newcastle, North Sydney was the closest it was the closest to, the same as me. to Newcastle. Novicastians. But I used to be a Balmain supporter back then. Before nineteen eighty eight, which was when Newcastle bought into the comp, I followed the Balmain Tigers. Bro, I followed yep, yeah, I followed whoever yeah, had the most Kiwis that year. So one time I followed Balmain, and one year I followed Manly, and one year I followed Canberra Raiders. And the reason, and I didn't, the reason I didn't follow Canberra like everybody else back at the time was, you know, with blokes like Stuart and Daly and Clyde and Meninga and Belcher and what a side, you know, was because they were all half of them Queenslanders. But uh, yep. I, was, I was into Balmain. I had, I had a big thing for Blocker Roach. I thought it was awesome. And uh, and, and Paul Sirenin, yeah. Yep. Sorry. I like the Wisbo. Go Freeman and Captop McNeil. I like McNeil. Andy Courier, Timmy Brasher. Yeah, well, speaking of McNeil, he actually, um, he was the one that put Clarkie out of a job at West. Okay. Well, he, McNeil, yeah. He's a good player, McNeil, mate. 
He was great. Yeah. A lot of people, he'd be a great guy to wonder where he is today. I wonder what he's doing today. So, Clark, even now, apparently they're mates. So, but you say, so you know, what happened was the World War, by Second World War. In Australia, rugby league carried on going in the Second World War. Rugby union stopped. Okay? After the war, rugby league already had the momentum. In New Zealand, it went the other way around. Yeah, because rugby league stopped. Really kicked Zealand. off. And become the dominant sport. And Australia, but New Zealand was the other way. Rugby league start, stopped, rugby union carried on. So when the war finished, they were even blazing. I never think of that, actually. That's what caused the dominance of the, the codes. I never never looked at it like that, but you're, you're dead right. Put the flavour cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, mate, you are full of information. Kieran, I am going to wrap this podcast up. Our listeners can only handle a good two hours or so, and we've been pushing... Well, in two and a half hours. So, mate, I definitely want to get you back and we can find another topic. You talk well. You're full of information. You're the perfect uh, guest here on Stacks, mate. Mate, I love you as a bloke. I love you as a human. I love you as a fellow footballer. I love you as an ex-front row partner. I love it, because I've told this story heaps of times. I won't ever tell it ever again. You listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's like people ask you questions. Look, look, this is the URL. Go listen. Yeah, mate, um, been fantastic having you. Hopefully, we get uh, your partner in crime down at the uh, down oh. at Bar One Two One there, and, and we can get him back on there. So when you see him, hassle him out. I've been hassling him to come well, and do a podcast as well. So, but mate, really good talking to you on the uh, potty. Make sure you don't you don't go too far away, and you come back soon, mate. I'm coming back soon. So just to, just to wrap that up, that was. Uh, Kieran Weston, everybody. Kieran, very quickly, if you've only come in halfway through the podcast, Kieran and I played a lot of rugby league together when uh, going back 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, we've spent time together. We've lived up north. Um, we've never been too far. Um, he's always sort of just been down the road, and some of that I've stayed in close contact with over the years and will never ever be anything different. Um, I owe Kieran a lot as far as um, a lot as, you know, he's been a good friend and, and um, his dear late mother or someone that I cherish dearly to and always made me feel welcome in the household and for that I'll, I'll ever be thankful. So uh, that was Kieran, everybody. So stay tuned. This is Stacks. Thanks, bro. Thanks, Thanks very much for coming down, Kieran. My name is Joy. As always, tune in. Give us a like. Find us on SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes and make sure you give us a like and let's pump this thing up and get these stories out there. No point telling them to no one. This is Stacks.